Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight. From the gorgeous land of enchantments, with a beautiful moon out there tonight, the storm has passed, computers are repaired, and be prepared tonight for an adventure. Because whether you know it or not, there seems to be a genuine disclosure event occurring even as we speak in South Eastern Utah. Yes, you heard me right. You've probably all been hearing about this bizarre, you know, obelisk, monolith, whatever, that was found by uh, some state uh, officials in a helicopter that were counting bighorn sheep. Well, as Paul Harvey used to say, you're about to hear tonight the rest of the story, and it grades perfectly into what my guest Stephen Bassett and I are going to talk about which is this larger concept of disclosure. What is it? And I think, Stephen, I have a little different perspective. And the bridge between the two, oddly enough, appears to be tonight again, Utah. I mean, who would have thought the state of Utah would play a center role, you know, stage in this uh, unfolding melodrama? Anyway, we'll we'll get to all that in the next, uh, you know, three hours. In the meantime, I want to all direct you, your new listeners, of course, to the other side of midnight.com. That's our website. What you want to do is to click on tonight's banner, which says, is this the real October surprise still to come with Stephen Bassett for November 28th. Tonight is the 28th. Uh, disregard the, the numbers there below the um, other side of midnight log because we've had to recycle this show so many times we've had serious serious issues and uh, I won't bore you with all the computer details but it came back today by FedEx and Keith and I've been working all afternoon and evening and it looks like we are good to go so um, let me direct you to that as I said you go to the other side of midnight.com you click on tonight's banner is this the real October surprise that takes you on November 28th to the guest page for Steve and you just kind of scroll down or you can click on the fast links up there where it says fast links to items, um, Richard, Stephen, and Keith, because we have a surprise guest tonight for the first uh, few minutes of the show. We're going to have Keith Morgan come on who has actually been to Utah and has taken some extraordinarily interesting images that are in the context of this unfolding Utah story of the monolith, or as I think is more appropriate to call it, the obelisk, and we'll explain the difference uh, shortly. Anyway, just click on the fast links to my items. That takes you down to the uh, radio with pictures section. The first item, number one, is it looks like, before we get vaccines and into that whole incredible controversy, 
there are significantly different risks for having a serious case of this disease depending on your blood type. And of all the blood types, type O turns out to have about a 13% less risk of either serious infection or, in fact, death. And that's uh, part of some very large-scale new studies that have been launched. Just click on that news link, and it will take you to the entire story. And the other part of the story is uh, vitamin D. I know there's been a lot of discussion out there about prophylactics, things you can take that will improve your immune system. It looks like in uh, comparison studies, double blinds, uh, vitamin D really does not help. So one thing is useful, which you can't affect, of course, because you're born with your blood type. The other you can affect, which is don't take something that's not going to do you any good. The one thing you can do is wear a mask and stay away from folks. It's really, I mean, I am going to do a show sometime in the future, next week or two, where we talk about how something so simple has become so tangled in politics. And I'm going to lead you back again through the science of how you yourself can check experts. I do not like listening to experts. I do not like reading stuff on the internet. I certainly don't like reading things on Facebook because people make the wildest assertions and there's zero evidence. I mean, zero, zero evidence to back up what they're claiming. But just because it's on Facebook, an awful lot of people seem to believe it. So I want to start back at square one. Uh, maybe next weekend, we're looking at some very intriguing guests that we'll be talking about uh, the whole COVID thing on a global scale. And we'll be reinforcing the discoveries that we made some weeks ago and that we announced here that there appears to be this remarkable global synchronization on all sides of the planet. People are dying simultaneously who never have met, never will meet, obviously now. But there's this rise and falling curve, which has this stunning periodicity of seven solar days, regardless of where you are on the planet. So we're looking at some experts that actually have done a paper on this. Uh, they appear to be interested in coming on the other side of midnight to talk about uh, how this can impact things like uh, ameliorating the disease. Um, for many years in, in the field of medicine, it's been known that when you take a drug, and it shouldn't matter when, but when you take a drug does matter. And of course, it's perfectly our model, which is that the physics, the hyperdimensional torsion field is changing in the background. And certain things you do today, if you do them tomorrow, they will work less effectively or they'll work more effectively. Anyway, we're going to get into some very interesting discussions with these authors of this paper because they're looking at the causes just as we are. And they did make one little statement in their um, preliminary paper that this could be a very significant discovery. And, of course, uh, I think it's extraordinarily significant. And as I said, we're looking to get them on maybe uh, next weekend, and if not, maybe the weekend after. So just kind of stay tuned. We'll alert everybody. We'll send out newsletters to the, uh, to the membership of Club 19.5, and we will post the banners as soon as we know we've got the guests booked. Item number two, you may not know it tonight, but the Chinese are uh, back orbiting the moon. Chang 5, remember Chang is the goddess of the moon, and there's an extraordinarily interesting myth that goes with all of that, which you can read 
at the Enterprise Mission website. Remember, it's Enterprise Missions, plural, dot com these days. Um, just go and look and, and click on the on the Chinese story, which is from some years ago, and you'll see this whole background discussion on the Chang goddess of the moon and its relationship to Chinese mythology and why they're going to the moon. Anyway, tonight, they have officially entered lunar orbit. Actually, they entered lunar orbit with this unmanned robot called Chang-5 about uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time, just before 8 o'clock Eastern time this morning. Tomorrow, sometime in early afternoon, but we're not certain because the Chinese are very closed-lipped about these things. Gosh, I wonder why. Um, They're going to land. And the mission this time, if you click on that second link, is to land a spacecraft equipped with a drill and a shovel. And they're going to pick up something like a little over four pounds of lunar material, put it into an ascent rocket, which is mounted on the apex of the lander they're landing tomorrow noonish and they're going to fire it back into lunar orbit they're going to rendezvous with a mothership uh the the uh, entire chang 5 spacecraft consisted of two separate spacecraft the orbiter and the lander and the lander puts its sample into the ascent stage on the lander fires it into orbit it rendezvous in a couple of days with the orbiter and then the orbiter is going to fire its own rockets leave lunar orbit take about 112 hours to fall back toward Earth and should land sometime, I think, midweek, I think by December 2nd. And next weekend on the, on the, I forget what the date is. I can actually look, I can do that. I can actually click on this little thing and this will come up. And next weekend will be the 8th or no, I'm sorry, 7th, 7th. On December 7th, that's the name that will live it in for me, We're going to be doing a show uh, on the moon with our Enterprise crew and talk about whatever results the Chinese have revealed. They have a very exquisite color panoramic camera on the lander. They're going to take 360 shots. They're landing on a place called Mons Rumker, who was a very famous astronomer about 100 years ago. And it's it's kind of like a mountain, 3,000-foot tall mountain, in the middle of Oceanus Procellarum, which if you look at the full moon, is kind of in the upper left-hand corner. And what's really intriguing is that my now deceased friend, Stephen Troy, who was a member of the Enterprise Imaging Group, uh, many, many years ago was able to order through the National Space Science Data Center actual hard copy images that the astronauts took and that the unmanned uh, U.S. spacecraft, the lunar orbiters took of this Mons Rumker. Mons means mountain in Latin. And um, also of another set of very similar uh, features called uh, the Marius Hills. And lo and behold, the Marius Hills turned out to be incredibly ancient, dilapidated, eroded structures. You can see the geometry on the data that Steve was able to extract from NASA through the NSSDC. My prediction, and I hate doing this stuff a lot, but we'll make an exception tonight. My prediction is that the Chinese have chosen this Mons Rumker because they have recognized the similarity between that feature on the moon 
and the Marius Hills. And if that's true, it means they have deliberately chosen to land in the center of a set of ancient structures and to bring back four pounds of material from that location. Now, the mainstream idea is that they're looking at ancient volcanoes. Maybe and maybe not. We may know a lot more by tomorrow evening, so we will do an update at the beginning of tomorrow night's show, and we'll know whether they have successfully uh, you know, extracted a sample and stuffed it in their ascent stage, and we may even know if they are giving a specific time for when they intend to send that back to lunar orbit and to rendezvous with the mothership, Chang-5. Anyway, stay tuned. Item number three. This is where things get really intriguing here on Earth because several days ago, long around, what, November 18th, um, three biologists and one helicopter pilot working for the Department of Public Safety of the state of Utah in a chopper that was surveying swaths of the ancient canyon lands to the um, south eastern part of the state, uh, looking at bighorn sheep and taking photographs and doing tabulations. They do this apparently every year. They flew over one region, and one of the biologists, according to the story, said to the pilot, wait a minute, turn around. I think I saw something. And the whole story is, of course, all over the Internet, so you can find the rest of it. Anyway, they turned back. They landed. They walked down this, this cliff. Um, with some difficulty. They then reached the ground floor, if you can call it that, of this little box canyon. And in the middle of the canyon, sitting there, bright as life, was a tall, brilliantly um, aluminum or steel spire, about 12 feet high, sitting in the middle of this box canyon that's relatively small. It's maybe, what, two, 300 feet across, if that, and they took lots of videos. They took lots of pictures. Um, that's the story of what's happened since is item number three, because originally the state of Utah said they did not want to uh, uh, tell anybody where this thing was located, that they didn't want people to uh, get lost and run out of water and have to be rescued and all that. Well, of course, if you know anything about people on the Internet, you know that if you give them the mystery, they're going to figure out how to get there. And a lot of people sprawling around the deserts of Utah without knowing exactly where to go, I frankly think was the dumbest thing that the state could have made a decision about. Because if they told them exactly where it was, it turns out there's an ATV trail just a mile or so away. There are well-known ways to get there. There are well-known ways to get back. They could have stationed a couple of rangers or park superintendents or whatever. They could have managed the, the amateurs. Now, of course, it's open season because some very interesting folks on the Internet uh, at Reddit, they thought to themselves, well, let's see, how do we figure out where this thing is? So they went to this website, which lists live all the flights with transponders all over the United States, including helicopters, state helicopters. And they tracked down the particular helicopter on the particular uh, noonish flight um, on the 18th of November, and they simply looked at where the track disappeared when it went below radar, when the transponder no longer could be heard, and they figured that was the location. Then they went to Google Earth, and lo and behold, they found the images from Google Earth 
of the monolith, of the obelisk, sticking up out of the you know, bottom of this dry, dry uh, box canyon. And lo and behold, now the scene is being flooded with hundreds of amateur backpackers and ATV people and tourists and God help us. And I have no idea tonight whether the state of Utah has set up any kind of protection because as uh, my first guest tonight, Keith Morgan and I are going to discuss, this is a find of extraordinarily importance. Um, if, in, if for no other reason, uh, forget the monolith, forget the obelisk. It turns out that this, this structure, this recent man-made structure is sitting in a canyon whose walls are decorated with extraordinarily ancient and very communicative art. This is a treasure trove. This is a fantastic find. And someone in our model, in my model anyway, put this obelisk there so it could specifically serve as a marker as to how important this site is, having nothing to do with modern artists uh, there have been a couple mentioned who do these things in the desert. Um, whoever did this knows a great deal about things that they should not know about unless they're part of a bigger picture. So if you go to item number four, this is the Department of Public Safety Aero Bureau for the state of Utah. This is where the uh, four guys who were in the chopper posted video and pictures. You get some panoramas, you get some close-ups, you get some elevated views. Um, and if you go to number five, this is the Google Earth. Just That's the link. Just click on that. That will take you to the Google Earth uh, view uh, of this little monolith sitting there in the middle of nowhere. And um, anyway, number six begins to get into why I got intrigued with all this. Because if you take a view, look at one of the elevated videos by I guess it's the chopper pilot photographing the three biologists. If you see that image, what does that look like? My gosh, it's an equilateral triangle. This object, this stainless steel or aluminum thing sticking about 12 feet up out of the bottom of the canyon, about twice the height of the two guys that stood on each shoulder, each other's shoulders to you know, crudely measure the height, to look at the top, it's an equilateral triangle raised into a third dimension, which, of course, by our hyperdimensional modeling, is a tetrahedron. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, uh, let me introduce um, someone who's been a kind of a partner in crime on trying to figure this out, who actually uh, caught a couple of these important seminal points by himself before we got a chance to talk. So I want to give him full credit. Keith Morgan has been an electronics technician with ABC News in Washington since 1982. He has a BA in communications from Howard University with a minor in computer science. Built Howard University's TV station, WHMM, now WHUT, and he worked at WRC Channel 4 in Washington in 1980, which, of course, is the flagship Washington station for the NBC television network. Keith is discoverer of what has been coined the Morgan Curve on Mars at Sidonia. He's researched the Mars anomaly since 88 after purchasing a copy of my book, The Monuments of Mars. He was working with Nightline and Ted Koppel. Koppel was interested, I'm sorry, Keith was instrumental in getting 
uh, a face-to-face between me and Ted, which was a really interesting meeting. We may talk about that someday in detail. Keith also supplied the show with information, which has been used in various shows about Mars and the uh, uh, second moon of Jupiter, Europa. Keith thinks he knows now why the face is on Mars and who is buried within, based on Sumerian writings that are over 6,000 years old. And he's a guest tonight, first, because he knows Utah, and Utah is now, in my opinion, potentially the center of the Disclosure universe. Keith, welcome back to The Other Side. Thank you, Rich. Uh, I'm glad to be on with uh, Stephen tonight. Steve and I go way back. Uh, I used to attend his uh, briefings that he would have when he put out a press release, uh, even though ABC never sent anybody to actually attend. And I thought that was a waste of um, uh, you know, getting the information because they didn't pay attention to stuff like that. Anyway, um, my son lived in Utah for three, four years. And I used to go out and visit with him. And we went down to the uh, what's called the Utah Arch Park. And when I got there, I was able to take pictures and look around. And a lot of the stuff just stood out as it's not natural. But they accepted it as saying, oh, this is just a natural formation. That's a natural formation. But then as I kept looking and looking, it was things were showing up that just did not make any sense because they all looked like they were artificial constructs, large statues, uh, things along that line. And I had seen uh, uh, pictures uh, during one of Art Bell's uh, shows. He had a guy on who was a Native American who was showing an area that's a sacred area that had these huge statues and they had weathered and so forth, but you could tell exactly what they were. And I'm seeing the same thing in Utah. And Utah is littered with this stuff, and especially at the, the Arch Park. And so if you, if you go to uh, the other side of Midnight, you go to the nice show, and you go down to my picture, this actually shows the Arch. In the yeah, background. up under the banner on the guest page, there are fast links. Just click on Keith. Oh. That will take you to his section. And then that, it takes you directly to a whole page. We had so many images that Keith provided that we had to, Kinti had to set up an entire page. So that takes you directly to Keith Morgan, Utah images. Okay. So the first three pictures that you're looking at, there's a wide shot, the closer shot, and then the really close shot. And up on the top of this hill, Mesa, there is a bust that looks like Nefertiti with the Egyptian headdress. Good on. grief, it does. And when you look at how precarious it is sitting on that small neck and the weight of that headdress should have pulled this thing over, broken it off. Wind should have knocked it down something in the time that has been up there. And if you look to the right of it, there is a pillar that's got these straight lines on it and it's got little thing sticking up that looks like it had some kind of maybe head on it or something that nature does do that kind of stuff. And then if you go down to the picture number four, you have these, you have these tall uh, cliffs. And each of these are clickable. So if you click on them, it gets full screen. Yeah. And then you can sit really see the details on these. The fourth picture is one of those statues 
and I didn't get it as well as I should because I had light flare coming in from the sun from the left side. But if you if you blow this up and you look at it, you'll see this huge statue with the head turned to the left. Oh, 4A. Body. Yeah, 4A. You look at 4A, you will see that is a statue. And that's like the statues that I saw with the pictures with Art Bell and the Native American who was showing the sacred site because he wasn't going to tell anybody where it was. Hmm. And if you scroll down to picture five, you'll see this huge structure. It's all flat. You blow that up, you'll see it's flat all the way across, except along that bottom edge where that division line is, right along the bottom, there is a square cutout. But then you keep going over to the right, and suddenly there's a relief standing out from this, a three-dimensional relief standing out. And the rest of it doesn't make any sense how this could have formed like that. And when you look at it, it looks like there's someone sitting in a chair with their left arm across their lap. And the guy has a beard or something. And it's kind of hard to make out the face. But then picture number six, it shows you a close-up of where the legs are coming down from the, um, the relief. And then you can see the square on the uh, left side. And as we get to picture six... You can see that this top of this uh, mesa here, the top is smooth, but then you go past the, the uh, separation point, and you can see that all of that is, it's not smooth. It's like it is raw. It's, it's never been worked with, and it continues down. So what smoothed out the top half but never touched the bottom half? Skipping seven and going to eight, there's seven and eight and nine. There are these two statues standing back to back to each other. One side looks like Anubis. The other side looks mm. like another figurehead. And they're facing back to back. The heads are at the top. And it, it's more dramatic when you're sitting there looking at this stuff. This is not a natural formation. If you skip nine and go to ten... That's a wide shot of what we're going to be looking at in 11 and 12. 11 is showing the front half, which has this, it looks like a boulder precariously balanced on the top of this triangular base. And it, again, it looks like something should have blown this over. The weight should have crushed it over time, something. Or earthquakes. Or earthquakes. But then if you look really careful at the details, you'll see an eye on one side and what looks like a mouth on the bottom. This head is not human, but who's to say it's not some other uh, in intelligence? And picture 12, if you look at that, you'll see this does not belong there. So we're going to skip 12. We're going to go to 13. If you blow this guy up, you will see what looks like a turtle back. And then there's a head on the right oh side of gosh, the turtle back. It's pointing at a 45-degree angle. The head is up into the sky. And it's got details on it. And if you look in the foreground of it, there's a pillar standing up that has details on it that looks like another statue. Skipping that guy for, uh, at 14, that's a wide shot. And up at the top, you'll see the arch. But then you'll see all these other structures across the top of this mesa. And how did they get there? You go to the 15, you get a little closer. You go to 16, 
Now you see all of these other structures screwing out across this mesa. How did they rise up out of the top of this mesa to be windblown and create these structures? Oh, the one on and, the right looks like a sphinx. Yeah, and one looks the, the one to the left looks like it's got a head of a snake that's been smoothed down and curved. And 17, you can see the arch. You can see these structures. Uh, 18 as well. So then we get to 19, and that is the one that caught my attention. This is our monolith, but on the left side, I see what looks like a puma. My <laughs> wife said it looks like a dragon. I mean, uh, um, excuse me, it looks like a dinosaur. And Richard said it looks like a dinosaur. And on the right side, there is this other structure. And if you look deep at the details of it, this was carved out. Because there's no way you could get this kind of overlap on a gap with a hole without somebody carving this in there. And well, you know, we, we had we had Andrew Curry, who's our resident artist, uh, works with Hollywood, does screen, you know, stuff, commercials, and all that. And he does storyboards. And he look one look, and he says those things had to be carved. Yeah, Rich. We're coming up on a break here, and we're like a minute out from. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Let's topic. let's pick this up on the other side because obviously we don't want to truncate. We'll bring Steve in for some uh, live reaction. Um, you're on the other side of midnight. I'm, what I'm trying to do tonight is kind of lead into this this very important idea that disclosure is not just about UFOs. Disclosure is about a lot more. Disclosure is about basically the whole history of the human family who are we really how did we get here is someone visiting now trying to remind us of our real ancient history and heritage stay tuned and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus to bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary based on well-verified references headed through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights, fresh perspectives on global events. 
tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Other side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, seven to nine p.m. Pacific time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday, November 28th, a couple, three days after Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Thanksgiving extended weekend. I hope you're having a safe but happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Stephen Bassett is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, founded in 1996 to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of disclosure. In his definition, the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race presently. He has given over 1,200 radio and television interviews, actually 1,201, and PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media, including being featured on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, The Washington Post, and yes, the gray lady herself, The New York Times. In 2013, PRG organized a citizen hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in downtown Washington. In November of 2014, PRG launched a two-year political initiatives out of Washington, D.C. that injected the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. PRG recently launched a new political podcast out of D.C., The Disclosure Wire, based in the National Press Building, two blocks from the White House. Stephen Bassett, welcome back to The Other Side. Richard, I come with grievous news. Um, Just within the last hour, multiple reports have come in that the Utah monolith has been removed. Um, No one knows who did it, and the BLM says it wasn't them. So the mystery deepens. Uh, how about the canyon walls? Canyon walls are still there. They didn't take those. <laughs> well, given the worst case scenario that this really is the key to an archive, an ancient archive, which is my model, and I'll back it up in a few minutes with some really amazing new details, I am not surprised. I had a long discussion 
with one of our other team members last night, Ron Gerbron, and I was really debating whether we should be talk, even talking about this to point out the significance. The idea that um, someone has come and taken it, and it's not the people who own the land because it's federal property. It's a national park, the Bureau of Land Management. The fact that they say they didn't means whoever did is trying to truncate, to squash, to eliminate the message. Well, it's too late because we have figured it out. So, Keith, you want to resume? And, and Stephen, uh, join in any time because when we get to the end of this, there's some surprises that I think are going to be even intriguing to you. I love surprises. <laughs> Keith? Okay. All right. So I, I left off at uh, picture 19. And the like I said, the, the puma on the left side, to me, it looks like a puma or, or a panther. On the right side, we have weird carvings and etchings on the left side in picture 19. But what really will blow your mind is when you see the, the wide shot of this from different angle, which is in picture, I think, 23 or 24 or something. And you will see on that side the face of a cat. A, it, my wife says it looks like a raccoon, but I, <laughs> it, that's a cat. And, and I was blown away when I saw that. I said, I didn't understand what the stuff was on the left side of, of the monolith in picture 19, but I knew it was artificial. But when I saw it from that distance, when you look at it in picture, uh, the pictures as it comes up, you're going to notice that is a picture of a feline. I don't care how you try to look at it and say dismiss it. You're going to see it as a feline. All right. So picture 20, um, this is a, a different shot where you actually see on the wall uh, behind the puma, there's other artistic things embedded in the wall it's it's kind of hard to to make it out but well the, 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 the department of public service uh, guys from the state of utah were really kind of bad investigators and bad photographers sorry guys they did none of the things you should do if you're looking at something that's potentially interesting or even important they didn't do any measurements they didn't do any tap tests they didn't take panoramas so you could stitch together and see the whole context they didn't even seem to walk around on the video, so you see this thing from all all sides, all dimensions. They just took a few kind of like tour shots and then scooted back up the hill to the chopper and took off. All right. Picture 21. Remember Rich said this is a tetrahedral or triangular. It's pointing like an arrow straight to the the division in between these two sections. And if you look at the ground coming out from that slit, you'll see that there's these two parallel lines and it looks like water running out of it. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody placed us here to say, look in here. And I would love to go look through that, that crack and see what's in there. Because this has been here since 2015 from uh, all the evidence from Google Earth going back, looking at the previous history of this location. So somebody put it here but no one noticed it till five years later. And that's interesting. Why was it put here? What's it pointing to? But like I said, Utah is littered with these things and these people are walking through this area and nobody notices artwork 
that's there that's eroded over thousands of years. You're talking now about the tourists that figured out on um, Google Earth where this thing is and have been flocking to the site for the last two or three days. Exactly. And and I can't believe that they can't see what's what's in front of them. And when you get to uh, picture 22, um, I think I'm missing the picture that shows the cat's face. Uh, yeah, we have that, that in our other section. We'll get to it momentarily. Okay. Uh, on on 23, there's this stone cube, uh, whatever, but it has this weird, perfect curve shape on the back of it that slopes down. And then when you look to the other opposite side, which is the right side of it, it looks like there's a simian monkey face with a mouth, the nose, and, and then on the to the left of that is looks like an ear. But what's really strange about it, because when you go to the next picture, which is a little bit closer, you'll notice that there's a square cut out in the front of this. And you can see it's a, like a square. But in that square are three reliefs within it. They're parallel to each other. It almost it, looks like Sumerian um, hieroglyphs, cuneiform. Right. So we have enough details in this to say this does not belong there. So how did it get there? And what is it representing? But it looks like it's all part of this whole thing. Okay, um, let's go back to the main page. Okay. All right, and we're going to click on – well, actually, main page is too strong. <laughs> I want to go to the guest page, so click on the banner again. Uh, scroll down. And under that, under the banner, it's got uh, fast links to items. Click on mine. Scroll down to item number three. That's the latest news story. Well, actually, it's not the latest. Steve just gave us the latest. This is the one where it showed how all the – the amateurs have figured out where it is. If you look, if you scroll down where it says story continues, um, under the uh, second picture, which is of uh, David Serber, who's the first tourist who apparently got there, uh, you can see over his left shoulder this cat face, which actually looks even more like a cat when you take an angle shot a little further to the right in this picture. And on the left there, you can see the obelisk and you can see it's curved because this is a wide angle shot. Below that are two images. You see them August 15th and October 20, 2016, 2015, 2016. So between August 2015, when the shot on the left was taken and 2016 on October, when the shot was taken, someone put the monolith there. Now, October 2016 is just before the election. And then nothing happens for four years until November 18th of 2020. And suddenly these guys, quote, accidentally find it. Um, I don't think that was an accident. I think that was part of the disclosure it was originally meant to be, quote, accidentally found four years ago. And this, of course, gets right into uh, Stephen's wheelhouse. I think there was an interregnum, a pause for the four years of the Trump administration. And as soon as the election was, uh, uh, you know, convincingly won by Biden, um, the plan to bring this forward and introduce it to public consciousness proceeded. 
And I don't think the helicopter guys found this by accident at all. I think it's part of a plan. And I think, in fact, my speculation is the Mormons, who have a great deal of, shall we say, intriguing knowledge, are behind this. And almost everybody uh, in Utah is a Mormon. And so if you're part of the plan, all you have to be told is to go out on a certain date and find this thing, and everything will take care of itself. Now, if you scroll a little further down, here's another wide shot of uh, Cerber filming himself with a couple of guys doing something funny over in the over his right shoulder in the background. But if you look on the right, Keith, do you see now the pussycat? Um, well, I, I, I got lost. So I, I'm kind of trying to find my way back to your, the, the story continues. So, okay. So where, where did you get lost? Uh, I'm right under your stuff. Um, just click on the fast links to my stuff. Yeah. That's what I thought I did. Okay. And I go down to picture number three. Number three. Utah monolith. Internet sleuths got there, but its origins are a mystery. Okay. And you can see the pussycat there on that shot right on on my section. And then click on that. That takes you to the story. Scroll down, and it'll tell you the story continues. Click on that. That takes Ah. you to the comparisons before and after. And then under that is another view of Cerber the first tourist to get there with the cat over his left shoulder. And then there's this artist down below that, John McCracken, who they think might've done this. I don't think it was John because John died several years ago. And now if you scroll under McCracken, there's a pre-dawn shot. You can see in the background in the cliff, you can see the sunlight is lighting up the mesas beyond, but this is a different color because it's only lit by skylight. And you see the monolith, and then you see that gorgeous cat face on the right. And then you see, if you keep looking, you'll see a whole bunch of interesting figures on the left. This canyon is a treasure trove of um, ancient, ancient art that has nothing in terms of um, similarity with you know, Native American art, which is primarily you know, small pictographs or um, uh, petroglyphs. Uh, but nothing on this scale and nothing that could literally burrow into the rock and scoop away huge sections unless unless we're woefully underestimating Native Americans' persistence or technology in more recent uh, time frames. Stephen, Rich, before, yeah, go ahead. Real quick, there there is a video. The video is playing down in the lower corner on that page, but there is a shot from up above looking down at this area from uh, the backside higher up from where we are right now. And that shows that cat face so well, it's it, nobody can dispute it. This, they can go, uh, it looks like, yeah. no. When you look at the one where the shot comes from the top in the video, it looks like a cat face. I don't care who looks at it, they're gonna see the cat, right? Mm. right? This well, except everybody who's meandering around is not seeing anything because what do they take? They took the one thing which is the least important because it's now been decoded, the obelisk. Someone thinks they're going to button this up by stealing the new artifact and they're missing why it was there and why it is there. I'm going to get to uh, momentarily, Uh, but I want to ask Steve, got any questions, Steve? Are we unclear on anything yet? Uh, hmm. Uh, Look, I got to say that, uh, in terms of 
the origin and all this stuff on the of the obelisk. I I, I have no opinion. It would be worth a a nickel. Um, I, one of my colleagues, Joe Bookman, I went back I think and checked some old Google Earth photos and emailed me something to the fact that it had been around for as long as maybe five years. But five I, years. I may I may have that wrong, but no 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 that's no significant. In that story on August 2015, it's the Google image on the left. There's no obelisk. In October 2016, image on the right, there's the red circle. There's the obelisk. So we know. Okay, so five years. Yeah, we know about five years. So and no just, one found I, it. Well, it's in a pretty remote place and tucked away. Which uh, means look, it was not meant to be found until it was time to be found. And guess my theories are worth nothing. I do have one comment, though. Uh, from my perspective, that what I found interesting was the response. Um, this thing went global. Quickly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and part of that is because 2001 Space Odyssey was one of the most important movies ever made. A lot of people agree on that. Uh, and so that would have generated some interest. But the fundamental reason that it's gone global and there's so much interest and people are going the great distance to go see the damn thing is because it's connected to the extraterrestrial issue. Exactly. And the interest and awareness of the ET issue is at an all time high. By the way, I should also mention that 20 years ago in 2001, uh, another type monolith uh, 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 turned up, I think, in Seattle uh, and was up for a while and then disappeared. So, but it wasn't shaped like this one. It's a different shape. Okay, the uh, shape is. That's critical. all I can. That's all I can add. Okay, the shape is critical. Here, here comes the climax. Okay, if you go back to um, the guest page, just hit the back button there, I'm on. and you scroll down to, okay, the uh, DPS guys. Let, let's hit that one. Okay, these are the photographs taken by the actual. Department of Public Safety, Utah guys in their chopper. Just kind of scroll down. You can see some bighorn sheep. You can make this uh, bigger when you click the plus thingy on your Windows or Mac. Uh, there's a scale. There's a guy standing next to the obelisk. And then below that, there's two guys standing on each other's shoulders to try to see the top. Then there's one guy standing with a far shot looking at the whole canyon. You can see the pussycat behind the, the obelisk to the right on this shot very clearly. And um, just, you know, there's videos there. You can click on them. The last shot at the bottom is a video showing one of the biologists standing next to this. And there's this other bizarre face uh, just as you're about to enter that cleft. They in initially, when you play these videos, you can hear them say, oh, the thing is pointed right at the cleft in the cliff, but they never take a flashlight and go over and look. You know, it's like it was pointed toward that. There should probably be a reason. But I believe, and Keith, back, uh, check me if I'm wrong, I think that nobody has taken this seriously at the level of archaeology because it's been d depicted as an art project. Yeah. And an art project is just something that somebody does. There's, there's a bunch of art projects on the uh, uh, shores of the San Francisco Bay uh, when you look down by the by – the, uh, Bay Edge there between Albany and Berkeley. It's been there for decades. Artists come and go and they build things out of driftwood and they disappear into the sands of time. So art is not very much appreciated in nature. And um, that would be, was kind of my attitude until I had this conversation with Keith. 
because all the images I'd seen at that time only showed the front, like you see in the first image at the top of the DPS site. That made me think, with the analogy with the monolith in 2001, that this thing was a slab. It was a rectangular slab. It was only when Keith pointed out that it actually was an equilateral triangle that all the damn bells went off and it was like, ding, 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 you got to be kidding. So then I did a little more work. And when the Reddit folks found where this was on Google Earth, uh, and it was, it was a lead pipe cinch from then to look at the latitude, Stephen, would you want to guess what the latitude of this little marker was before it was taken away? Oh, uh, I fear. <laughs> I cannot, I dare not go there. I'm going to let you go there. <laughs> go for it. Twice, nine, it. twice 19.5. That would be 38. With it, with 38 and change. Because it's actually about two miles away from the 19.47 latitude line. And I'm not sure whether that is a mistake or the only place they could place this closest to the to the extraordinary art, and or it's the difference between geodetic latitude and geographic latitude. I haven't had time to do the calculation to see which is which. The point is that that in itself was so close on a planet of you know millions of square miles. It was like whoa, why is a tetrahedral monument placed on a latitude? which is significant to the whole circumscribed tetrahedral um, concept of putting, you know, tetrahedra in spheres, planets, to predict where geological formations are going to erupt, like volcanoes or the great red spot on Jupiter, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a mathematical underpinning, a code to placing a equilateral obelisk, which by, by virtue of the third dimension, when you raise a equilateral triangle in three dimensions, it becomes a tetrahedron. So the message here is it's a tetrahedral message that we're looking at carefully disguised as an obelisk in the shape of an equilateral triangle made out of, we now know, because of the tourists, stainless steel. And we know it was hollow, so it was easy to remove by somebody. And obviously, whoever removed it either wanted a souvenir or in a more insidious interpretation, they wanted to remove the key to figuring out why this site is important before anybody figured it out. And as I said, they missed. Now, if you go back to the main page, so just get rid of the DPS site, go back to the main page. Um, and what you're going to want to do is to probably click on Google Earth. Okay, click on my Google Earth link. That will take you to the um, um, actual page that the Reddit folks posted where they found this. It takes a moment for it to load. And there it is in all its glory. And you can use your little wheel, thumb wheel on your mouse to move it back and forth. Okay. Um, you're looking, if you look in the bottom right-hand corner, you know the way Google does stuff. The red um, compass thingy means north. And the white compass thinking means south. You see that, Stephen? Did we lose Stephen? I'm, I'm trying. There you are. There you are. Okay. So the picture is a line north, south, east, west, right? Right. Okay. What I did, and we haven't posted it because Cynthia's been 
you know, taking some well-deserved time off, is I laid two lines over this this object, and then I made a a, a screen print. the The tilt of this tetrahedron, this two-dimensional, three-dimensional obelisk, in the shape of a equilateral triangle raised in the third dimension, off true north, exactly 19.5. So they placed the obelisk in the canyon so that it would sight down that fissure, that that you know shadow cleft that you can see in the overhead view. So it's exactly 19.5. So we've got redundant, redundant, redundant information all focusing on the tetrahedral model, which, of course, is what we found on Mars. And we found a tetrahedron many, many times, thousands of times now, in association with grand Martian artwork, which is going to be part of the book that we're all working on. Hopefully, we'll be out before the uh, Perseverance rover gets to Mars early next year, on February 18th. The point is that the, the, the style of the artwork, well, let's go back to the main page, okay? The style of the artwork, if you look at, uh, for instance, uh, number, number three, again, just look at the picture on, on, on my section of Radio with Pictures, the one with uh, Durst looking into the camera. Not Durst. Uh, what's his name? Stephen. Oh, I'll get it here in a minute. Um, Stephen, Stephen, Derber, Serber, S-U-R-B-E-R. Da- I'm sorry, David Serber. David Serber, that's his name. Um, if you look at that picture on my links, over his right shoulder, uh, I'm sorry, left shoulder, there is this amazing cat-like feature. And then to the left of that, as you're entering into the cleft, if you want to, there's another facial feature. And then on the opposite side of the cleft, you have all these other things, including a possible lion, this thing that looks like a dinosaur, a whole bunch of other things. We need better pictures. Hint, guys, if you're out there, please get us better pictures and send them, obelisk notwithstanding. The point is that the the style of the artwork in this canyon is identical to the style of some of the art we found on Mars, and the linkage between the two planets is the 19.5. Who in their right mind as an artist even begins to conceive of the concept of 19.5 unless they know about the physics and its crucial linkage to our ancient human heritage. Now, the most exciting aspect of this could be if, in fact, kind ET, drop this there, you look down at number six, and you can see the equilateral form on the top taken by the helicopter pilot who was sitting up on the hill and just zoomed in with his uh, smartphone camera to one of his colleagues kind of beginning to walk around the base. The other thing is that it is done by some group here on Earth very terrestrial, who somehow are aware of the ancient connections between Mars and Earth and ETs. And if that is the case, then as we might say, it could be Katie Barr the door. When we return, we'll be coming back with our guest of the morning, Stephen Bassett, and we'll be discussing in this new year whether or not Disclosure will formally, politically unfold in Washington. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. 
Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland? Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. For this Saturday, November 28th, Thanksgiving weekend in 2020, a, uh, a year that I don't think we're going to forget any time soon, and obviously uh, not for the right reasons. But maybe the year is ending in a way which is introducing us to a whole new chapter, which, of course, is my segue to uh, Stephen. Stephen, um, where are we politically? Are we? Are, do you do you really think that everyone kind of paused everything during the Trump years, and that now the disclosure process that seemed to be on track with Hillary has been or is about to be resumed? Ah, uh, that's an easy one. Yes. Okay. I find it very. Remember, I like hard evidence. I find it very intriguing that having established that this thing in Utah is of monumental importance, sorry about the pun, and someone has now removed it, which I find really intriguing, like how do they think they're covering any, anything up because it's the site that's important, not the obelisk. Um, I find it fascinating that according to the, the, the satellite record, it was not there, and then it was there just before the election in 2016, 
but no one noticed it for four years, going on maybe five. And then right after this election, suddenly it's, quote, found by accident and we're off to the races. And now we have this soap opera of, you know, somebody stealing it and trying to cover things up and all that. I somehow have this feeling, given my model, that the E.T. phenomenon and ancient human phenomenon, who are we really, are intimately, inextricably connected. I cannot separate the two, and I have a feeling that one is connected to what is about to happen politically in Washington. Yeah. Uh, again, not not my uh, area of expertise. By the way, based on all your comments prior to the break, I do have two questions. One, if I were to sneak into your garage, would I find a cement saw? And two, <laughs> where were you in the month of July 2016? I'm just asking. Let's see. Where was I in July 16? I've, I've been here. I've been. I've been. I would not travel anywhere. Robin was very deathly ill and getting iller, and so I was with her 24/7. And I haven't really left this house to do any go anywhere for years. Okay. All right. Then you're you're good. <laughs> Just checking. Just want to check that off. Well, obviously you're you're intrigued by the numbers, and that's obviously why we know this thing was real, and why the site itself is really what's important. Forget the damn monolith. It was merely meant to point us. And I don't like calling it a monolith because the monolith in, in 2001 uh, was a slab, like a, like a doorway. By the way, a bit of trivia. Do you know that Arthur incorporated the coordinates of a circumscribing tetrahedron in the shape and size and dimensions of the monolith in 2001? I should know that. but uh... One by four by nine. It's the square root of those numbers. And if you look at a, a piece of artwork by a guy named uh, McCall, uh, who did the uh, conceptual art for the film for Spielberg, I have in my files, and I, I may actually post this next weekend when we get further into this, the original conception of the monolith that the uh, astronauts were supposed to find on the moon and then find in Saturn orbit, et cetera, et cetera. It was a giant tetrahedron and according to the story Kubrick when he saw what uh, Arthur wanted said oh no way pyramids are so cliche so Arthur had to come up with a disguised tetrahedron which he did in the form of the dimensions of the monolith which of course is a doorway between dimensions which of course is what a tetrahedron is when you spin it inside rotating planets according to the physics so whoever put this thing in Utah Prior to now, just, you know, uh, four years ago, but found just a couple weeks ago, knows all we have discussed so far. Hopefully we will learn who that person is when the episode on this monolith comes out on ancient aliens. <laughs> I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait for that. Because when it comes to anything archaeology, I just wait for the ancient aliens episode. And if it has anything to do with math, I wait for the science channel thingy on it. And well, so we have potentially a very major figure in the field of ancient archaeology who we're in discussion with and who I'm going to really, really, really beg uh, to go to Utah because he's been flying all over the world anyway, so he's not you know, concerned in the middle of Utah with getting you know, COVID. And he has the background to know what to look at, how to document, 
how to age date from desert desert uh, patina, things like the artwork on the walls. And I damn well am going to urge him to go down that crevice with a flashlight and see what's beyond, you know, door number three. Hopefully that'll be fun. I just can't imagine what would have happened if that had been a 25 foot high, absolutely solid, four foot wide black monolith. All hell would have break, broken loose. Mm, but probably. it wasn't. Just a little little teaser. And we'll see what's coming. But, but you see, yeah, it was meant to be an overt thing to be seen from the air. Obviously, the sun glint is what, you know, we assume mm. the guys were not in on it, that they did find it accidentally. It was the sun glint at noon that flagged one of them to say, turn around, what was that? Yeah. But it still made it four years without being found, which I think is impressive. Clearly, it was tucked away. So, it, you know, monolith, good. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm politics and... Uh, so that's that's well. Let's I, assume, I for the sake of argument, that whoever did this waited four years till Trump was out, which of course <laughs> echoes conversations you and I have had. Yeah, but if it went in in sixteen, he didn't know who was going to win the election. And by the way, in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, but they didn't have to reveal it. Once Trump won, they just sat on it. They just, no, I know, but if it was put up in sixteen, that's kind of notable because I just want to mention that. Over the last four years, people have gotten all worked up about the occasional little tweak or statement that uh, the current president tossed out because he was asked a question by somebody, generated a few articles. That's fine. But in, in 2015-16, there were hundreds of articles, explicit articles about the ET connection to the president, presidential candidate Clinton and with, with interviews of her and 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 her husband Bill and and Podesta, hunt over four hundred, yeah, which fits perfectly, Steve, into the model that this was planned as part of the big disclosure rollout. And then when Trump won and stunned everybody, the plans yeah, yeah. were put on hold. I can almost I can get down with that because uh, if I if based on everything that was going down in 2016, uh, I, I was certain that Clinton was going to disclose if she won, and I bet a lot of other people felt the same way. And so disclosures coming. And so good time to go slap a monolith out there in Utah. And uh, again, we hope this person comes forward. We have a lot of questions for them or him or her, whoever it is. Could they're, be they're, they're, they're never going to come forward. Come on, come on. That's, uh, not the way she, that's not the way. No, that's not the way secret societies work. Oh, who, oh no. Who, okay. No. Who, no, whoever did this has to have legacy knowledge. They have to have knowledge of the mathematics and geometry of the tetrahedron. They have to understand the idea of latitudes how this works yeah. in planets. Mm-hmm. They have to understand the heritage of the human race, which is a lot bigger than one planet now and extends to Mars with overwhelming evidence from curiosity, soon to be um, perseverance. And did I mention the Chinese are sending a mission to Mars and, and for their advertisement to advertise the mission, <laughs> they chose a curiosity image, which has a whole bunch of damn ruins sitting in the background behind their artwork of their of their lander. So 2021 is the disclosure year in many directions, starting with, with potentially Washington, which puts it directly in your camp. There's a ton of stuff coming down. I mean, tw- I mean, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would be super primed for big, big stuff happening. Uh, but the pandemic has lingered. 
it got a little, you know, it got a little extra boost from our behavior. The, the nation was uh, submitted a logical thinking test and flunked it badly. But the vaccine is coming. God bless the vaccine. I will be first in line. I don't care what it is, what country <laughs> made it. I'm going to actually, I'm going to get all three. I tend to get all three, one in each arm and one in my butt. Uh, <laughs> Because I, I don't want to miss any part of 20, 2021. I encourage everybody else to do the same. And so, but it's been, you know. Well, uh, the it, difference it, between this vaccine and any other vaccine rollout is that by public demand all over the planet, there is an absolute es- essence politically of total transparency. Total transparency. We can't have too much transparency, I'll tell you. Nope, I'm up nope. for that. So in clothing wear. That's, yeah, I'm <laughs> down with it. So, yeah, big things are coming, Dick. Uh, what, what area do you want me to talk about first? Well, let's do the segue. If Hillary had been elected president, yeah. what would have happened? That My is assessment? now potentially going to be resumed by the Biden administration. That is one way to look at it, and I can talk about that. There's a, there's a lot of logical threads here. Uh, again, my assessment, which is purely my opinion, I do not have any inside information. Insiders never contact me. I don't get emails. I don't get phones. I don't even get threats. I don't get anything. <laughs> so it's all, you know, I have to Google everything. Well, but, I get uh, insiders, but they're all lying. So I've learned yeah, well, over the I, years yeah. to depend on numbers, on mathematics, on correlations, on on disparate perspectives from experts that know yeah. other things. I do not rely on sources. The last thing I rely on is a source. Because we've had too many people try to, you know, move us off the trail with, quote, sourcing. I'm not even worthy of having insiders call me up with misinformation. I, I, I don't know what the problem is. I Look, used to have a guy from the DIA all the time calling me. All the time. Give them my number. Okay. <laughs> it would be nice just to know that they, they care. Well, see, this is why I was so intrigued with General Flynn. I don't want to interrupt, but, you know, because when, when Trump picked Flynn, my feeling, and this is going to be a horrible pun – was that disclosure was in like Flynn, that the reason Flynn was chosen is because as former head of the DIA, he knew exactly what everybody in the in crowd knows, and he was going to help Trump roll it out. And then look what happened to Flynn. Yeah, well, apparently he told the Russians first about all that stuff, and that was a mistake. Okay, look, you asked me a question. Yeah. What do I think was going to happen? This is my opinion. If I'm wrong, somebody correct me. Somebody inside call me up and say look Steve you got it wrong here's the facts um Hillary Clinton intended to be the disclosure president that had been an intention of hers for a very long time um it, she wanted to be a lot of things including the first woman president but she didn't want to be just any president she wanted to make history do extraordinary things and uh, she was fully aware of the ET issue and had been for 20 years so Talk a bit about Rockefeller and Wyoming and the ranch and all that for those that aren't following the story. uh, Yeah, well, for those who are, say, if if you were to go and read uh, uh, some of these 400 articles, which are linked on my website, paradigmresearchgroup.org, just look under the uh, election election initiative. Yeah, item number one, articles on PRG political initiative and the Clinton ET connection. And you will, you will. It, it refers to a lot of this. The, the the Clinton team, we'll call it the political team, has the most extensive, long-standing connection to this issue than any other political group ever, and in the public domain, nobody comes close. No Republican is even in the ballpark. Uh, it's now in its twenty-third year, and it began 
uh, a month after, uh, well, two months after uh, Clinton was inaugurated in, in uh, 19, uh, uh, 1993. And he didn't want it. He had no interest in it. Uh, the subject was not on his radar at all. But, uh, but Lawrence Rockefeller, uh, who was a, a Democrat and a, and a supporter. Well, wait, wait, let me stop you there because I remember that he deputized – oh, who was Hub, uh, Hubble? Was it Hubble? Well, that's one of the things that there's many things that happen once Lawrence Rockefeller uh, shows up. And, so and Rockefeller one, spurred Clinton to ask uh, Hubble to find out two things: what killed JFK and the UFO, you know, Roswell thing, right? Rockefeller's approach. In other words, Rockefeller approached the Clinton administration. He he made it clear uh, that he would have approached the Bush administration in exactly the same way. Uh, he wanted to make the case for why the files should be released to the people. In other words, get those files out. Uh, and we now call it the Rockefeller Initiative. It began on March 29th, 1993. And uh, without wanting it, the ET issue was literally pushed right in the White House door. Now, they, they could have turned him away if it had been anybody else. Well, most people, but not Rockefeller. He was a big donor to the, the DNC. A, a a billionaire and so you know and a friend of the Clinton so you just can't tell him to uh, go pound sand so he had to engage it and that drew him in it drew in his wife it drew in Podesta it drew in other people in one way or another in the uh, in the White House uh, and that began the Rockefeller Initiative it lasted for three years uh, ultimately Clinton was stonewalled by the Department of Defense he was uh, 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 I'm not sure how to describe it. He was sandbagged by the, the, the Air Force, Department of the Air Force, who generated a whitewash report that cost millions of dollars. Uh, in other words, they couldn't just stop it, but they could stonewall. I mean, so it all, and, then, and then it all faded away as the scandals piled up and, and all the lawsuits and everything else that tortured him for the entire eight years. Do you remember so, his, his famous address in Belfast, I think around yeah. Christmas? Of, I yeah, forget. he brought it up in Belfast. Uh, uh, and that, again, what happened is th- they were drawn into the issue, and then from that point on – They being they the Clintons. Been, the Clintons, and, and the Clinton and the Clinton team around them, particularly John Podesta. From that point on, they've been connected to it. Now they And remind people who John Podesta is? John Podesta was a chief advisor to Clinton specifically during the three years of the Rockefeller Initiative and then became his chief of staff and then moved on to ABC News uh, at the end of uh, – just before – the election in 96. So they're, they're, they're into the issue whether they wanted to be or not. And they could have let it go. They could have, uh, they could have dropped it. And, and they did drop it in his second term. He, was, he had been beat up pretty bad. And uh, when, the second, when he won his second term, which upset his, his uh, enemies substantially and worried them because all the stuff that had been going on, the Rockefeller Initiative, was known to plenty of people in the government. It wasn't a covert program. It was, it was happening in the White House. Plenty of people knew about it, but it wasn't covered by the media. In other words, the Rockefeller Initiative had a couple of articles, and compare that to the hundreds of articles that come in 2015-16, and you could see that times have changed. But uh, he, he, he's, he's going to run for the second term. He drops the whole thing, and then very shortly into his second term, uh, the whole impeachment thing and the other scandal arises, which totally dominates. And so it's, it's off the table, and it, it could have stayed off the table. But the Clintons made a very determined, uh, specific decision 
that they weren't going to let it go. Whatever they had learned, whatever they had assessed, because there's plenty of information in the public domain. You don't have to get a briefing from the CIA to know there's an ET presence. There's thousands of books that have been written. You've written a couple yourself. And so uh, what happened was is that a short, not long after uh, he's out of office in October of 2002, about 16, 18 months after uh, the new president's in, Podesta turns up to introduce a new organization uh, that was being launched with a press conference at the National Press Club. And that was the Coalition of Freedom of Information to engage the ET issue with hotshot attorneys and publicists and all kinds of stuff. All the stuff I wanted to do but didn't have the money, but they did, and so they did it. They did interview me as possibly being involved, and I didn't pass the interview. So boom, and then he gives this statement, a now legendary statement at that press conference. I was sitting right in front of him, and my jaw hit the floor when he states in his opening remarks uh, that it's time uh, for the people to uh, learn the truth because it's uh, the law. And other states, it's a famous statement. It's on the internet. Easily find it. And so that literally, at that point, we learn in October 2002 that the Clintons were not going to let the issue go. But on the other hand, they weren't going to get too ostentatious about it. And Podesta had been assigned the role of uh, the person who was going to keep it alive and drop the breadcrumbs. And so for the next many years, uh, Podesta would turn up from time to time engaging this issue. Uh, in various ways, making statements and so forth. Uh, Clinton, the Clintons did not, virtually nothing. Uh, there was a statement that Clinton made, but it was in Hong Kong, all right, so it's pretty far away. Uh, but other than that, it was all Podesta, but it was there. Every couple of years, he turns up. So he's dropping these breadcrumbs, which, which told me that there was an agenda in uh, the, polit- the, the Clinton political team because everybody knew she was going to run for president. Of course, they knew she was going to do other things, which she became a senator. And by the way, she goes to the Senate. He's still dropping E.T. breadcrumbs. And so it was clear to me that there was an agenda there uh, leading to what? Well, it was leading to her uh, paying back the DOD for stonewalling her husband by becoming president and going down and saying, well, that was Bill. This is me. You give me the files. I'm firing everybody. And so – she runs for president in 2000. Why didn't, why didn't Clinton himself do that? He couldn't. Oh, oh, oh. Could, yeah, well, Bill Clinton, if he had wanted to, and I don't know if he – I'd love to ask him about it if he even considered it. Yes, put his foot down. Well, see, given Trump, the one good thing that Trump has shown us is the extraordinary breadth and depth of the powers of the presidency, even if you're an idiot. Well, you didn't show me that. I knew that already. I didn't need him to show me Well, that, but. but for most Americans. So well, when yeah, you I, see these previous presidents who have not pulled the trigger, you've got to say, why? Like Clinton. Well, every president's situation was different, uh, if only in terms of chronology. But uh, Clinton could have, when he, got, when he was clearly getting stonewalled, right, he could have said, wait a minute, this is wrong. Uh, this is this is the people deserve the truth. I'm going to risk everything by confronting the DOD and in a fairly straightforward way. I want a full briefing on this. Uh, anything if you leave anything out, I'm going to fire you. If you refuse to cooperate, I'm going to fire you and we'll replace you with somebody else. He could have done that. However, 
Clinton comes in as an unknown Arkansas governor guy with not a lot of Washington contacts, and very quickly, scandals started breaking out. Now, some of these things were somewhat contrived, but a lot of them were not. Uh, were they contrived to prevent him from disclosing? I believe that some of the scandals uh, that were generated, possibly with assistance from the CIA, which would have had a file on them, or the FBI, which had a full file on them, might have been to cool his jets because I'm confident that when the military intelligence complex in, in general learned that Rockefeller had turned up wanting to get the files released, they were not happy about this. <laughs> and so it's possible that but, – um, but he was going to get attacked regardless, and so he just did not have the political capital, not to mention the fact that the disclosure process and the disclosure activist movement is fundamentally a truth activist movement. It is trying to end – perhaps the biggest lie in history. And Bill Clinton, for better or for worse, was a consummate liar. Uh, but he, you know, some would say he lied for good cause. Uh, and he lied well, uh, because if someone's going to lie, you, you prefer they lied well, because really bad liars are extremely irritating. <laughs> and so the idea Well, they didn't he, call him Slick Willie for nothing. Yeah. So he was not, it just was not possible that he was going to take that political risk. And he didn't. Uh, and I could go back to every president and give you the reasons why I believe they, they couldn't do it. But the most important thing about Clinton uh, was two things. One, he was the first – really the first post-Cold War president. Right? So the Cold War is over, and we're going to become buddies with the Soviet Union. And, uh, oh, no, we're going to become buddies with the new Russia, uh, the new Russia. Uh, the new thing is going to cool down. Everything is great. They're going to sing Kumbaya, and now it's possible to do cool things like maybe disclosure. So there was that, and then of course Rockefeller showed up. And so if they, if I, if they had hired me as an advisor to the White House, I, I sent a resume. I didn't hear back. The point is, if they'd done that, I would have said, look, you have a chance to go down in history as one of the greatest presidents of all time. You are here at this moment. Rockefeller was showed up, and it's not an accident that he showed up. He knew full well that the end of the Cold War was the first real opportunity to get these files out and end this truth embargo, which was not no longer really serving the country well. And he showed up, and he did his best, but he was also very old, and as the Rockefeller Initiative went forward, his health declined, I think, just consistently declined. And so – and, yet, you know, and so he, he just wasn't able to keep it going. He didn't have the, the interest – not the interest. He didn't have the wherewithal to keep it going after 96. And so the opportunity was missed. But Hillary, on the other hand, would have her shot at it. And so when she ran in 2008, I was out there doing everything I could. Hang on. From isn't, much, is, is, isn't there a photograph somewhere on, on the internet of Hillary at Rockefeller's Ranch sure, in, there's a bunch of in, photos. in Wyoming. I've yeah. got a bunch of them up on my website. Yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking one specific where she's walking with yeah. Rockefeller, and she's clutching a book. Right. And the book is about? Extraterrestrials, in, implication of extraterrestrial presence. By exactly. David. And he'd given her that book. And so, you know, so all of this came out later, and the, and, and the proof of the Rockefeller Initiative came out in 2000. And, uh, and I've been pushing that. Grant Cameron certainly was doing it. Uh, but I, but he moved on to other things. I never stopped. I've been pushing that connection right up until the election in 2016. 16 years. I mean, I put it in front of the media more times than I can count. They wouldn't bite until she ran the second time. In the first election uh, campaign, 2008, uh, again, I felt she was going to disclose. Uh, and I, I decided.
I went out and tried to get the media to engage the issue. I did not have the resources. I, I did not have the angle on it. I, I just did not have – I just it wasn't – I did what I could, but it simply wasn't enough, though, to be fair. I might have been able to generate a lot of news, except she got pushed out of the of the campaign by Obama. So once she's out, I've got nowhere to go. And so that ended 2008. And so she loses the election. Now, the question was, would she abandon? I'll tell you what, hold it there. Yeah. Don't, don't want to miss a, a, a note of this. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett. We're talking about disclosure. The object in Utah tells me, in terms of the dates of the satellite imagery, that before the election, it had been placed for 2016, and when history turned a page and Hillary was not elected as president, plans were changed. Just how they were changed and what's going to happen next year after January 20th, well, that's going to be the subject of the rest of the other side of midnight. Don't go away. Join Richard C. Hoagland and an array of fascinating guests as we explore real-world topics and events through the lens of hyperdimensional physics. Join Club 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archived shows. Only $9.95 per month. Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcasts heard in over 160 countries around the world. Real research. Real data. Real science. The other side of midnight.com. everyone on this Saturday night, November 28th, Thanksgiving 2020 weekend. It's a bit of an odd Thanksgiving. I've never heard one like this. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett, and we're talking about what might be happening in Washington, the center of power of the planet and the universe. 
to depend on some politicos, in terms of resuming the countdown to disclosure. Stephen? Uh, yeah, I'll try to move this along a little faster. Um, so, when well, I want you to—I want you to get to 2016, to where we all thought that all yeah. the tea leaves were being aligned to her to be the person who made the leap. Yeah, yeah I'll get there real fast. Um, so, when when Obama wins, uh, I'm, I'm going. What's going to happen now? Well, what happened was he brought Clinton into the administration. He 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 brought uh, Podesta, made him the chair of his. His transition team actually picked the government. He brought a couple of other Clinton people in who had been in the White House during the Rockefeller Initiative or very close to the Clintons. So I'm going, well, there's, it'll be very easy for the Clintons to, how would you say, uh, discuss this with Obama. So the question was, would she, be, would she be willing to pass the baton to him, a Democrat, because I, I don't think anybody thought he was going to be a one-term president. So we're talking eight years. And the activist movement, you know, we were we're relentless. We never we don't take off, we don't take time off much. And so the activist movement was going to continue to pull the issue, uh, push the issue forward, disclosure process. The pressure would just grow in the government, and it might be you know, Obama would be the disclosure president. During that period, Podesta continued to drop some ET breadcrumbs here and there. <laughs> uh, and so I watched carefully, and it's very possible that that might have happened, except that the Obama administration was odd. Um, uh, and complicated, but we, what we do know is that uh, he was black. I think that was pretty well understood, and uh, there was just a whole bunch of racists that were committed that he just would never be a good president. They were going to do whatever they could to stop him, not on the basis of policy, but on the basis of race. That's that's it's America. We have it. Well, inauguration night, we know there on Capitol Hill at that famous caucus yeah. restaurant that they had a meeting. Where they avowed all the Republicans were not going to give him an inch, not going to give him Mitch anything. McConnell chaired that meeting too. By yeah, the way. yeah. Uh, so and then and then there was this financial disaster that was dropped on his in his lap. He's facing one of the worst crises ever, and so really he was just under siege from the get go, and it took him years to climb out of that. And so I was not shocked at all that he didn't suddenly decide. I think I'll get involved in this ET thing, regardless of what the. Uh, Clinton's told him. And so those eight years go by. And then we're coming to the next election. Everybody knew she was going to run. And everybody, um, uh, well, I sorry. And, and, the, and the Clinton ET connection was well known. I mean, there had been plenty of coverage of it over the many years. But this time around, when uh, we're approaching the election, I came into a substantial amount of money, which I spend it all sadly <laughs> kind of wish i had done that a little differently but nevertheless uh and i held the citizen hearing and disclosure 2013 as the prelude to the election initiative that i intended to do targeting her in that campaign and so i came to town with some money and this was in november of 2000 and uh, december of 2015 14 rather uh knowing that one she was almost certainly going to win that two, the campaign was going to be long, and it already started by the end of 2014, two years, in other words, uh, I had a huge opportunity to, to this time get it right and drive media into that subject. In other words, and I, I did a lot of stuff that nobody knows about. I had a publicist working for me who was a pro, and we started generating some articles 
uh, we seeded the pump, in other words, or primed the pump. Uh, and all this is on my website. All 400 articles are right up there. You just go to the PRG election initiative under projects, and you can you can then find them, and you can read them all if you want to. The point is, is that once the articles started appearing in January, December or January, the reporters started approaching the campaign, her campaign, for comment. And so they're writing about the Rockefeller Initiative. They're writing about the ET connection to the Clintons. And they naturally, any decent reporter has got to contact the principal and say, what are your thoughts? And what was happening is they wouldn't respond. And they started calling Podesta's office. He wouldn't respond, except in one, one case. And so, in other words, they, had to, they were stonewalling him because I think they were probably caught a little off guard. Um, you know, uh, they didn't expect me to, to succeed. So, you know. So I pull this. So suddenly they're under huge pressure. They're in a tough spot. Uh, if they keep stonewalling the press, the press will just get worse. And so what do you do? I mean, we're talking about the presidency here, and I'm sure there were plenty of advisors in the Clinton campaign in 14, 15, and 16 that were telling him, "You must not touch this issue. Uh, you can't do it. You'll lose the election. It's it's awful. There are no ETs. Whatever the hell." And uh, so, but they had no choice. And so what? Opedesta did was to craft a strategy in which they would address the issue in controlled circumstances that wouldn't lead to any uh, situations where they were under serious Q&A by some uh, feverishly aggressive reporter, but rather very controlled, limited, just enough to let everybody know that, yeah, I, I'm aware of this issue and uh, I may engage it. I will engage it. Uh, keep the press at bay. And the very first thing that they did which was a, 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 a key moment in my life, which I know will flash before me in my last <laughs> few seconds, was that uh, Podesta put out the famous regret tweet on February the 13th of 2015, which started the ball rolling. And that tweet, which is on my site and a lot of other places on the net, is historical. Well, wait, wait. He actually went to work for the president, President Obama. Well, yeah, he, he, he ended up. Coming in, in addition to being the chairman of the uh, co-chair of the transition team to form the government, eventually, out of nowhere. Uh, See, with him being head of the transition, I was I assumed, I guess, like you, that Obama was going to be the guy who would do it because Podesta's there. Well, I mean, that's but not only that, but Hillary was brought in as Secretary of State. Panetta, which was the chief of staff to Clinton during the Rockefeller initiative, you think he didn't know about it? Do you remember? Do you remember when, when Hillary, as Secretary of State, brought every ambassador all over the world back to Washington for yeah. face-to-face meetings? I thought that was the briefing, getting no, no, them no, no, ready. No, 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 no. If anything was said, they would have conveyed it to Obama. I believe they, they brought Obama into the picture, whatever he knew or didn't know. They they updated him, and the question is, what was his intention? What were their intentions? All of this is may never be public, though it could very well. It, it would be a, a hell of a chapter in a memoir. I know there will be some memoirs, but not yet. This is post-disclosure time, but in any event. Um, so he, they bring him into the administration. as a, and They bring Obama in as an advisor to Obama. Nobody knew why. You mean Podesta? But Podesta was brought in as advisor to Obama. Nobody knew why. After was, the after the like years into his administration. Yeah, he's, he's it's late 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, early 2014. Uh, so he's in there for like 10, 11 months. Nobody knew why. There was no clear reason. It was never announced. He was just suddenly an advisor. But uh, 
guess what? He, and he had to leave his the job as the, the CEO of the of the progressive think tank, Center for American Progress, that he founded and funded. I mean, this was his baby. I mean, it's a cool job. And he, he leaves that, turns it over to uh, 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 to a woman to run it, and then he goes over and becomes an advisor to Obama. Why? Well, you see, if you're an advisor to the president, you can go and come at the White House all you want. Nobody's going to notice. Two, you can talk with them about anything. You can sit around and talk about baseball and football, whatever. The press can't know about it. Uh, there's no way they can get to it except by going through the Presidential Records Act years later. In other words, it's totally safe. Well, there's the whole idea of executive privilege protecting presidential yeah. conversations with his exactly. advisors. And so talk freely. In, in, during that period, I think – I would suspect that a great deal of discussion was, was, was taking place between Obama and uh, Podesta about how things might go, uh, what to expect. Uh, probably relaying her intentions to to disclose after when she wins the election, which was inevitable in most people's mind, whatever. And I think he was happy with that and went along with it. So in 2015, on February the 13th, it's his last day. He's, 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 and why is he leaving his job as an advisor to Obama? Because it had just been announced he was going to become the chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign. <laughs> Nobody was shocked in that. Not at all. Nobody not at shocked. all. Nope. All right. So, so you see that this thread is moving along pretty tight. It's a pretty tight thread. Let me, let, let, hang on. Let, let me stop because I'm still wondering yeah. why did Hillary bring every ambassador physically back to Washington? There could have been any number of reasons, but I assure you she didn't talk about ETs because that would have blown up worldwide. Big news would never it would, it would have been leaked like crazy. So I don't know why she did it, but I'm. I'm but isn't it plausible that that may have been a plan and then someone said you'll never get away with it? I have no idea. I just have no idea. You can so, speculate. No, you're well, allowed on the show to speculate. The odds, are, the odds are extremely low that anything ET was was related. Then why meeting. bring them all physically back? The only way to because she had a reason. I mean, if you Google it, I'm sure there has been some reasons. I have about. never seen a reason ever. Well, I, I, I can't help you there. The only so, way in an electronic era to guarantee security is to lock everybody in a room, close the doors, put the Secret Service outside, tell them something, and tell them if you if you whisper, you're you're you know you're 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 toast, your history. If she had brought those people together in that room and told them that she had embezzled a million dollars from a bank in Arkansas, it would have been news in 48 hours. Trust me. I don't know about that. Let's move on from that. Okay. So, so he, he, he's, he's now about to become the chairman of the next president. Of the this United is Podesta States. now. This is Podesta, and it's his last day, but he's been getting these calls from reporters thanks to moi, right? I don't, and I don't get any correspondence from that. I don't get Christmas cards. I don't get invited to parties. <laughs> I don't get any. So, so because of me, it's because, and they know it's because of me. They know that. And so he puts out this tweet, which I love talking about because it's so cool. You can find this tweet on the web. Just put Obama, a Podesta regret tweet. That's all you have to put in. Podesta regret tweet. Boom, comes right up. He says, my one regret, my biggest regret. For 2014, meaning that previous year when he was an advisor to Obama, is once again not getting hashtag disclosure of the UFO files. Hashtag, the truth is still out there, <laughs> copy Marine Dowd. 
can't okay. be any clearer so, than that. Well, it's not, but there's a whole lot in that tweet that 99% of the people that saw that tweet and took that would not have understood, but I understood. Okay. So I'm going to do a Hoagland here and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to parse this down. All right. I'm going to give you the, the story on this. That's I, what I, we I, want. I'm sorry, Dick. There's no 19.5 involved here. <laughs> whatever. I, no, you probably could find it and, and give it a shot if you can. But the point is that let me break it down. Okay. Uh, once again, why did he say once again? He was referring back to the effort that he was tasked with to try to get something out of the DOD in 1993-4, where they were stonewalled, basically, and then taken for a ride. So this was his second time, apparently, and he's implying that there was an effort. So something was going on in that last year in the Obama administration. Yeah, I caught that too. The, the him where they were making some feelers or whatever the hell. Failed again. Which, Right. The, the, and, and keep in mind that had they gotten some files, let's say they'd gotten some pretty significant files, that wouldn't have necessarily made a uh, suddenly trip disclosure from Obama. However, those files would have been extremely helpful to Clinton once she takes over as the presidency and she's already got a bunch of that stuff in her hands. So he says once again, so that refers back, not getting hashtag disclosure. Now, why did he say, why didn't he just say disclosure? of the UFO files mm-hmm. uh, or release of the UFO files, and, but instead said hashtag disclosure. Well, I kind of know why. I'm going to tell you. When I uh, – uh, previous just, – just prior to my arrival in D.C. in uh, November – December of 2014, uh, in a couple of months leading up to that, working with a, 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 a group on a, – a, a disclosure group on Facebook that had several thousand members. Uh, I got them and, and, and uh, the website, the person running that group, we, we got them all fired up about uh, what my, my, my project, what I was doing. And I, I convinced them that we need to do a tweet storm. This is my one and only tweet storm. Uh, for those that don't know what a tweet storm is, uh, it is when Huge numbers of tweet, tweets start raining down on a target, right? It's like a intense rainstorm right over your house. Well, it's you tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and eventually you can make real millions. Well, no, 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 no. We had a couple thousand people that were directly tweeting, and I provided them all with the Twitter handles for virtually all of the Washington-based media and also about, I don't know, 75 members of the key committees in the House and Senate, and, and over the next three months, last, the last two and a half months and into January of 2015, these people were day and night, and they rained two and a half million tweets wow. down on these targets. And the, these targets were not happy about this. <laughs> got blocked and whatever, but and, and the tweets were about uh, a number of things. Wait a minute. Did, about, did Twitter block you or did the recipients no, block you? The recipients blocked. Ah, Some ah. of the recipients blocked. But so what were the tweets about? They were they were basically saying that y'all y'all are about to get copies of the citizen hearing on disclosure. These these uh, uh, 10 DVD sets with all 30 hours of testimony. You're about to get those. Look for it. Right. Media and the members of Congress. And also uh, we need congressional hearings. All right. 
and so forth. So um, it basically it was it was uh, trying to alert not only the Congress but also the media in Washington that this little plan I concocted was coming and get ready for it. Yeah, but I can do. It's cheap. It doesn't cost anything. And so two and, a half, and and they were all encouraged to include the hashtag disclosure in these tweets. And so a million and a half, I don't know how many, maybe maybe a million point nine of tweets, it, it came down and rained down in November, December, January of 2014 and 15, had hashtag disclosure in them. And he puts that in his regret. Ah. That is why he did it. It was kind of a message. It's a connection that, back, yes, to you. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Hashtag disclosure of the UFO files. Then hashtag the, uh, the truth is still out there, meaning haven't got it yet. And then he copies Marine Dowd. And I assure you, nobody, maybe a couple people of the hundreds of millions, whatever, that have seen that tweet knew why he copied Marine Dowd. Why of all people? Her. Mm. Right? Were they dating or something? No, they weren't. So, <laughs> but I knew. And here's why I knew. Again, all of this stuff is easy to Google and you can find it on the web. Well, Marine uh, Dowd is kind of like the modern Dorothy Kilgallen of our age. She's well, a very well-known New York Times yeah, columnist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very powerful. Uh, very well known. Big, she's a big shot, but again, there's a lot of big shots in town. Why her? Let's take. Let's go back to 1994 to 1997. Uh, this is overlapping the Rockefeller Initiative, and things were happening. Uh, Corso pops out with a book the day after Roswell. Uh, Stephen Schiff is trying to get the Roswell records from the, uh, the, G, the congressman the, the, here in New Mexico who died under very mysterious yeah, circumstances. Schiff, right. And there's, and then, so there's a lot. And then of course the, and then at the same time, my post office uh, used to be Stephen Schiff's substation. His name is big letters on the, above the door. And this is happening at the same time that uh, 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 Clinton is pushing the air force and the DOD to get information. And so it's getting pretty testy. And then, the 50th anniversary of the Roswell event is coming up, and Roswell made this decision to hold a massive festival. Right? It's going to be in July of 1997, uh, and the, uh, Time magazine predicted it could be 200,000 people there. So overall, the Air Force and the DOD is going, oh, God, we don't need this. This is so – we don't – this is really a pain. And so they decided they needed to do something. And so they did a couple of things. One is when they released the Air Force report, case closed or whatever the hell it was called, uh, basically saying it was it was a weather balloon, uh, and that got released. But it didn't placate. Do you remember the time compression and the dummies? Well, I'm getting to that. Okay. And so they released that, but it, the, 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 the disclosure activist community were not particularly impressed with that, and so there still wasn't enough. And and there was the issue of the bodies, and so they and it, so just a week or two before the Roswell deal, there was they're trying to diffuse to some degree the impact of this massive festival. They hold a press conference at the at the, at the Department of Defense, and a gentleman by the name of I think it's Colonel Haynes, yeah, might have been commander. Uh, he comes out and he gives this press conference. It lasted for a while. The, the room is packed. All right, it's packed with reporters. Now you can find it online. Okay, the 1997 UFO press conference, Pentagon, Haynes, but thought you'll get it. And so, first of all, he goes through the whole mogul balloon thing and the case closed and all of that stuff, and it's going along fairly well, though knowledgeable people 
could shoot holes and all of that, but it's okay. But then he, they made the decision that they needed to atta- uh, address the bodies issue because, again, the, 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 the recovered bodies at Roswell was a major part of the, the, of the history of this, and plenty of research was done with that, and it was certainly going to come up in the festival in a, in a week or so. And so he decided to come after that, and so he launches in to his assessment of why people had claimed that they had saw bodies. Well, you had testimony uh, from the mortician who ostensibly yes. needed the trial coffins. He'd gotten the call from the uh, Army Air Corps for those. There was a nurse that actually watched an autopsy. Um, there was a lot of substantive people who said there were bodies. Well, there were people that saw bodies outside the craft that got there ahead of the, 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 uh, the Army. Yeah, but they weren't official. These were official. Yeah but, yeah, but again, it's all testimony. It's all, it's all supportive. And so he comes out and he says, look, uh, you know, back then, uh, the Air Force had started testing uh, various equipment and so forth, and they, they used dummies that they would drop out of the airplanes, I guess with parachutes and maybe without them. I don't know. And, uh, and, and people were mistaking these dummies that the Air Force was testing uh, for bodies. Right? Mm. Query him on this. <laughs> At which point he relates that uh, – well, when did they start doing that? Uh, 1952. He couldn't lie about that. It would be too easy to check. It's in the record, yeah. Right, not even – okay. And they're looking, hmm. And uh, what are the dummies like? Well, they were uh, uh, generally – and they had a picture of them. They had some photos of them, of course. Hang on. And they were Keeping in gone. mind that Roswell, for those that don't know history, occurred in 1947, that July 1947. Critical so, number. There's your 19.5, by the way. Somebody's were about six feet tall, blonde hair, and they were wearing Air Force gear. And, uh, well, that's not what people said they saw back then. Uh, and, uh, then he's, then, and then he's asked a question by one of the reporters. Uh, wait a minute. The, the people said they saw bodies in 47, but they, they didn't drop the dummies till 52. And he said, wait well, you know how memory is. Over time, you have time compression. <laughs> And at this point, an immortal line. The room, the, 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 he's gone stand up at this point, and the room, <laughs> they're laughing. They're laughing really hard. Now let me tell you something. The Pentagon really hates it when the press laughs at their press conferences. This is not something they like, and so it just went downhill from. Yeah, you- it might have generated a lot of interesting reactions, but it didn't happen. All right. So anyway, so. But it's, it's, it's on file. We have the record. It's, it's for posterity. The poor Haynes, I feel bad for him because I, I, I do not think he is original research. He was told to come out and give this presentation, and he became part of history in a way that I, I'm sure he's not thrilled. I hope he's still alive so when disclosure happens, he can have a drink on that, and maybe he'll call me up. The point <laughs> is, is that that is what happened. Okay, and guess what else happened? The day after… Maureen Dowd wrote, I think, her first column. I, I don't think she's – she may have approached the subject one other time in the, in the next 20 years, but she wrote a column about this press conference. I assume she was there, ah. and she basically said it's all bullshit. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and I invite people well, to find this column. She said it meaning the subject or the Air Force yeah, briefing. The, the, the stuff that they were telling were, was nonsense. Was the briefing bullshit. was nonsense. Okay. Exactly. And so uh, – and she was – you know, she she's uh, – She's very good with language. Oh, yes. 
And so I encourage people to read this article. It was a gem, not appreciated appropriately at the time, but has, has aged well. And that is why he copied Marine Dowd in uh, 2015, essentially uh, 18 years later. Still basically saying, hey, Marine, you were right. <clears throat> you were right, Marine. So, okay, so that was the beginning. Now, that tweet launched a bunch of media, and then from then on, uh, in the 11 or 12 times that either he or Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton or a Barack Obama spoke to the issue in an interview or to a, to a reporter, all carefully handled so it wouldn't get out of hand, it generated more media. And so the media just followed it right on, and they weren't too worried about it. Uh, I, it didn't cost them any votes. They never got attacked by the Republican Party or the opposition on this. Nobody gave them a hard time. In fact, they were getting, I think, rave reviews. Uh, and so it was all going well, but they still – they didn't want to get too carried away. They, they didn't want to say anything so strong that suddenly it would become a, a major issue because they couldn't be certain that it could possibly cost them the election. They played it safe, but they – you know. They, they, in other words, they, they were operating exactly like everyone's favorite pro team in the fourth quarter <laughs> that's ahead by four, 13 points, and they go into the prevent defense. They're not going to take any chances, and they lose the game by, by one point in the, in the last five seconds. And so that is what was happening then, and she lost. But there was something else. Oh, no, no, you're, you're missing a huge part of the story, the Conway thing. Conway thing. New Hampshire. The editorial oh, board. That, that was just one of the times. No, 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 no. But editorial boards are different than other reporters. You know, every, no, what, every no, 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 Dick. No, let me, I, I know this history very well. She gave a three hour presentation to the editorial board of, of the Conway Daily Sun, which during the New Hampshire campaign, this is her edition. It's not a big city, but when you go to New Hampshire for the New Hampshire primary, you talk to the editorial board of the Conway Daily Sun. Uh, and she didn't talk about ETs, but after it was over, she walked out of the meeting and walked over to um, a reporter, uh, Damon. Damon, oh God, I, I, Damon, forgive me, I've forgotten your last name. I feel terrible about this. Uh, Damon, it's okay, Peter, you'll have you'll have three minutes to think about it. Okay, let me get that for you because we are taking a break. It's break time. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett. We're talking about disclosure. Is it going to happen now? Is 2021 the year after 2020? Stephen and I are in agreement on one thing. Yes. The shape of it. And who's going to spearhead it? I don't know. And you're going to find out what he knows when we come back. You're on the other side of midnight My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. everyone. Is this really the beginning? Is this where the human race turns another page? Is Utah somehow mixed up in this as a prelude to what will ultimately have to be resolved in, yes, Washington, D.C.? Because if we've seen anything over the last four years, unless it originates in Washington, it does not happen. Leadership, the pandemic, just Think of the big picture. Are we, in fact, looking at the run-up to finally, after all these years, after all these decades, the beginning of what might ultimately turn out to be the creation or maybe the revelation of a federation? Well, welcome back, everyone. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett, and we're discussing how the wheels are turning in D.C. and where they may turn next. So continue. Uh, This event happened on December 30th, 2015, and this was a major turning point in this two-year campaign of mine. Uh, And uh, she she, she, uh, went to... uh, to Conway, New Hampshire. She's, and this is a major primary, by the way. This is the New Hampshire primary. How you do in the New Hampshire primary, it's very, very important. Even though she was considered the, the lock, right, to win, still, you don't fool around with this primary. And so she's there. She gives a three-hour presentation to the board. And then afterwards, uh, she walks out of that presentation and walks up to Damon Steer, who was a reporter that had asked her about the UFO subject when she ran in 2008, eight ah. years ago. And he's, he's, a, he's a, just a basic reporter there, really keen on the issue, very nice fellow. Institutional and, uh, memory. Absolutely. Well, you know, the Clintons are very good at that. And, he, and he, she walks up to him knowing 
then he's going to ask her about this subject. But it's totally safe, right? He's he's not going to grill her. And I think she gave him all of 90 seconds. Now, let me let me mention this. At the point she walks up to Damon Steer and the Conway Daily Sun newspaper office on December 30, 2015, you had the Podesta tweets we talked about in February of that year. And then Obama goes on Jimmy Kimmel in March of 2015 and gets asked a ET question. And then uh, Podesta puts out another tweet after Hillary appears in an interview with Lena Dunham, uh, an interview to get the millennial interest. And he puts out, great interview, Lena, but Lena, ask her about aliens next time, half track the, the truth. The truth's out there, uh, copy Hillary Clinton. And then Bill Clinton in October turns up on uh, the uh, uh, late night with uh, Stephen Colbert and gets asked an ET question. And so now – and then there's tons of articles that have been appearing all through 2015, and she goes and walks up to Damon Steer. Now, many – and, and this triggered a huge number of articles, let me tell you, it inter- a swarm of articles. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, is the amount of media coverage of the ET issue and her candidacy is, has, was hundreds of times greater than, in that, in that two-year period – than everything that's happened during the Trump administration regarding this issue, hundreds of times greater. And so, but the key article was, the lead article was the Conway Daily Sun, titled Clinton Promises to Investigate UFOs. Let me just read a few excerpts, okay? Uh, Democratic presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton gave UFO enthusiasts a reason to cheer at the close of her recent editorial board meeting with the Conway Daily Sun. During the meeting, the former first lady, former senator from New York and secretary of state, answered serious questions about foreign policy and the economy. And at the end, she chatted with this reporter, Damon Steer, who's writing the article, who would ask her about uh, UFOs in 2007 while working for another paper, the Cabinet Press. She recalled that in 2000, she recalled the exchange in 2007 with a smile and seemed to have some fun. Yes, I'm going to get to the bottom of it said Clinton with enthusiasm. Mm. All right. Okay. In 2014, Bill Clinton told late night host TV, Jim, uh, TV host Jimmy Kimmel that he wouldn't be surprised if the earth is visited. Right. And then later on, right. Clinton also said she would like to look into area 51, a secret military base in Nevada that has long been rumored to contain aliens. At first she called it area 54, but then corrected herself. All right. Uh, and then and here's where it gets really cool. Um, she says she, Hillary Clinton while the sun added the chairman of her campaign John Podesta is a huge fan of the UFO lore we knew that she said he enjoys a sci-fi show on the FX network Podesta served as chief of staff he has made me personally pledge we are going to get the information out one way or another maybe we could have like a task force to go to Area 51. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> the articles rain down. I'm talking oh around the world. God. And I have them all archived on my website. But a lot of the, quote, skeptical media said she was joking. And shortly after that, Podesta was interviewed and went out of his way to point out that she wasn't joking. Mm. All right. And so you see what's going down. The head of her here. campaign officially on the record said she's she not joking. joking. And there was much more that happened. This went on for the entire year. Okay, so we know where it's going. When, I, I did, was, when did Conway take place? I forget. December 30, 
2015 ah. while she was campaigning for the New Hampshire primary. Okay, now at this point, as we enter 2016, there is zero doubt in my mind what's about to happen. She's going to win. She's going to disclose. Uh, she's going to be the disclosure president. And so I just I, I, I worked even harder. I threw everything I had and and paid my publicist a lot of money, mm-hmm. bless her heart, uh, to to get this done because this was it. We were going to close the deal. Okay. Now, we know it didn't happen, but there was something else going on that we didn't know about, and that was somewhere in the DOD, a substantial number of people were discussing taking action on this issue. On the assumption Hillary would become president? On the assumption that she was going to win, yeah. Okay. Uh, And they knew what that meant. She was going to win and disclose, and uh, were they going to get out ahead of this, or are they going to stand there and let the press come run them down like a herd of buffalo? And so she, they, 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 they were meeting. Uh, we didn't – the first hint that any of this was going on did not happen until 2016 March when out of nowhere Tom DeLong turns up on uh, the George Knapp show to talk about a big deal that's going down. And George, who's extremely knowledgeable about this issue and very sharp. Uh, was just over the top. I mean, he just gave. And Tom DeLong, for those who aren't following the bouncing ball, is a rock musician having no connection with government or officialdom or anything. No, no, he's a very successful rock musician. He had sold 30 million records, I think, at that point, and had money, but he was no longer with his original band, Blink 182. And he was in, he'd been interested in the issue since high school. I knew about him, and he was active in the 90s. But then he went back to just selling huge numbers of of uh, of records and. Um, and parting. So he turns up and Orge gives him this huge in, uh, introduction, meaning well, this is a big, big deal. And so he starts. Well, he, he, he gives this rambling four hour interview, which you can find. It's a March, I think, 16th, uh, Coast to Coast AM Sunday show with George Knapp. You can find it on the site. And what he was telling us was that he had been meeting with big shots inside the uh, military intelligence complex, DOD. CIA, whatever, and something was going down. Uh, and he was all excited, and, and it was going to be some big news. Uh, they were going to be doing a lot of things, including publishing some books. He, he had a series of books, and he, he mentioned the name Secret Machines. And I struggled with it. Uh, he's a 40-year-old high school grad rock musician, and he's basically saying, I'm involved in a huge project that's emanating out of the Department of Defense regarding this issue. Uh, and and I was struggling with that. Boy, talk and about so, plausible deniability. Well, you know, if it goes well, he's in. If it goes badly, who's Tom DeLong? Perhaps. But what happened was that a month later, the book he talked about was published, Secret Machines. And I realized, my God, there's something going down. But he did not get into specific. He did not get into deep detail. He did not. Well, but get this, into, this was his novel, right? It was one of a series of books that was going to come out, and he co-wrote it, Secret Machine. So that confirmed that this was – that George didn't just do this interview casually. He knew something was going down, probably knew a lot more than Tom revealed. So I'm real – oh, wow. This could be huge, and I'm ready to learn more. But we didn't get any more, and that's fine. I've, since, this is in March of 2016. This is March of 2016. Now, based on what he was saying in the interview, it was clear that the – the the meetings on this dated all the way back into 2015. How far I don't. Know. When did Trump first announce he was running? The famous escalator thingy. I 
I'm pretty sure it was 2015. Uh, just not sure when. Uh, uh, I think. I think it was early. Yeah, Laura, could you find that out? That's an important date if we're putting so, clues together. Uh, so I'm waiting. Okay, to see what happened. So I think I think the preparation for this started in 2015, uh, probably maybe mid to I don't know, but a lot had been going on, and uh, I'm just waiting to see what happened. But it, it was not a big deal. I mean, something's ha- great. I'm glad that, that something is happening. The more the merrier. But again, it didn't matter to me because I, she was going to win the election, and bada bing, we're going to get disclosure pretty, pretty uh, quickly. Well, uh, we know what happened is that the campaign started ah, to struggle. Ah, I've got the date, June fifth, June sixteenth, twenty fifteen. He entered the race. Right. So, so a lot of stuff had already come out about the Clinton connection to the ET issue. Articles have been generated. Whether the Trump campaign was paying attention, I don't know. Probably not. So, uh, see, I have a serious question for asking this because during the campaign, the major thing I wondered, knowing this backstory, knowing you, of course, why did Trump never type dead aim at Hillary and blow her away with, and she even believes in UFOs? Ha 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 ha. That has been the case all the way back to her other campaign. Uh, they have never been attacked by the Republican Party or its key surrogates. Yeah, but he attacks everybody, issue. and she was vi- he was vicious to her. You know, I'm, lock her up and all that, including so the DIA director, General Lynn. There are two reasons. Uh, for him to do it, it would have been with, I guess, encouragement from the RNC, meaning, okay, you need to do this. And he was not being advised to do that. He he, he didn't know anything about the issue. And they weren't going to tell him. And the reason is pretty straightforward. At least this is what I think. I'd love to ask this question of a few key people at some point. Is that the Republicans have virtually no connection to the ET issue. Almost nothing. Going back as many years as you want. You have to go all the way back to Gerald Ford in the mid-1960s when he, he, uh, he helped to, to get a, a hearing going in the Senate. The 68 hearing. Okay, let me stop uh, you again. Isn't that strange, given that the Republicans used to be the National Security Party? Uh, well, again, here's another way to look at it. The Republicans have always been the National Security Party. They've always been the uh, military intelligence complex. Mm-hmm. And we know that for the last 70 years, it has been the policy of the military intelligence complex to embargo this issue from the general public. And the Republican Party, not surprisingly, has gone along with that. Uh, and so they've just not touched it. And so there's that. Yeah, but anyway, uh, you're telling me that Trump actually listened to – he listens to nobody. I'm not saying he was told anything. I, in other words, if the RNC wanted him to attack her on this issue, they would have told him to do it. They didn't, and the reason that they'd never attacked But why her, didn't he attack her on his own? He didn't know anything. He didn't know anything about extraterrestrial. UFOs he, are the kicker laugh line at the end of every newscast for the last 40, 50 years. But you've got to know something about the issue to use it. And he might have been advised not to. I don't know, Dick. Okay. All All right. Right. He didn't All right. do it. The point is that they haven't been attacked by any Republicans on this issue. And the only explanation that makes any sense is this. Keeping in mind, the Republican Party is the party of the military intelligence complex. They're tight with the complex. They're tight with the contractors. They're tight with the DOD. It's the, 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 for the, if you're an MIC person, 
The GOP is generally your party. And so they know there are plenty of high-level people in the, uh, the GOP that are fully aware there's an extraterrestrial presence. They've known it for decades. Mm-hmm. And so since they know it's true, you see how awkward it would be if they decide to go after the opposition party on that issue? Because one, it raises the issue. It makes it prominent, which could set the whole thing on fire. And two, if they attack the Democrats on that issue and then the thing breaks down and you get disclosure, they look like complete idiots. And so the idea is don't touch it at all. That's exactly what they've done, which is why Tom DeLonge, as we learned from the WikiLeaks emails released by Assange uh, just before the election, which significantly hurt her campaign, that they approached Podesta. We learned that, that – uh, who uh, approached Podesta? Tom DeLong approached Podesta about that project ah, that they were okay, putting together. Okay, okay. Introduced him to some people, got him to sit for an interview, all behind the scenes, not to come out until after the election. But the WikiLeaks uh, dump uh, outed all that. Photos, emails, 95 emails referring to UFO stuff. 50 of them, I think, or 40 of them were involving Tom DeLong. All of them are on my website. You can find them in the blog. I've got them all there with commentary. So outed the whole thing. Very embarrassing. Big problem. And I'm sure that without – I'd have to go into more detail, but trust me, it was a big problem for them. But it wasn't fatal. So it was okay. All right, fine. She's going to win. We'll proceed. But then she lost. So now what you have is – Well, she lost because of the emails and then Comey bringing it up no, 11 she days. she lost for a lot of reasons. No, yeah, that, that was the Comey, two reasons. Comey, Comey, uh, Comey's uh, – Actions, the FBI's action, very, very harmful. There was a lot of – remember, when you lose by that few votes, there's a lot of reasons because you can pick any one of ten things that could swing that many votes. Whatever. She didn't win. Okay. Now, whatever the project was that Tom DeLong was involved in, that he had outed in March of 2000, they're hung out to dry, and it didn't happen. And so – and I, but I, I didn't – I mean, it wasn't a big deal to me. I knew there was something going on, but we didn't know what it was. She lost. What the hell? So I eventually went into a deep depression and then fled to the UK. All right. So <laughs> it was 11 months before they finally did launch that project. And, of course, as most of your listeners probably know, it was called the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences. And uh, it is the most important thing that's ever happened regarding the Disclosure Activist Movement. It is the project going to take the ball across the, uh, the goal line, and they're going to spike the ball in the end zone and hold up the trophy. That's what's going to happen. It's a big deal, but it was no easy ride for them because that wasn't the plan. I believe the plan was this, and I would love to be corrected by any insiders who want to call me. Um, <laughs> I think the plan was Hillary wins November the 8th, maybe three or four weeks later, boom. They set out a video and launched the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, uh, exactly as they did pretty much. Maybe a different – some personnel changes, but that's exactly what they did in uh, October 11th of 2017. And so, boom, that's a big deal. And understand that that launch would have been just following not only her election, but all of those hundreds of articles that had been written by major papers, New York Times, mm. Wall Street Journal, all of them. And so, boom, people are going, wow. That's a big deal. And then to say nothing of the emplacement of the Utah obelisk. I don't know. Yeah. And that's happening, too. And then December, (laughs) of course, of 2016, not 17, 
is when they would have delivered the the information that they had to the New York Times, and those New York Times articles would have come out in December 16th of 2016, maybe three or four weeks before the inauguration. And so when Hillary goes to the White House on January 21, 2017, she goes in with 400 articles connecting her to the issue, a launch of an organization that is clearly a surrogate organization, NGO, operating on the behalf of a substantial group of people inside the military intelligence complex that have decided to commit themselves to the disclosure process in order to get the DOD on the right side of history. And suddenly New York Times articles are turning up about ATIPs and, and Nimitz uh, and Tic Tacs and Harry Reid and, and so forth. All that's in December, and she walks in the door. There would have been a 1,000 press ready to ask her about one thing. What's the deal with this issue, the ET issue? And I believe she'd have called for hearings right away. Witnesses have been provided. Bingo, decent amount of hearings. She makes the announcement. She's the disclosure president, goes down in history. That was the plan. Obviously, that's not the way it went. They launched in October of 2017, but they did not to, to, to score the touchdown. What they did is they made a decision because of the, the chaotic political situation in America. This is the military group in the Pentagon. No. Well, the To the Stars Academy is making this decision. They are no longer in the Pentagon. They're outside. Yeah, but wait, they wait. are a pub- well, public. Who, who's, who's wagging the dog? We don't know. Uh, well, wouldn't you assume have, it would be the Pentagon and that DeLong uh, is just a nice puppy? What I assume, but based on information – is that there is a substantial – there's a sufficient number of people inside the Pentagon and perhaps some other agencies that support what they are doing enough to provide the necessary cover so that they can't be shut down by other elements within the MIC that don't like what they're doing. In other words, they, they, they have their back, but they don't, they're not named. We don't know how many they are, though it's anticipated it's between 30 and 40. That's all we know. They, they, they can't and will not discuss that. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that – I know that that's the case. And so they, they make a decision to work their way up the field. It's like that team at the end that if, they, if you take your time scoring the touchdown, you don't leave the other team any time to, mm. to, to come back up and score a win. So they slow walked it. They did a number of things. From October of 17 until until about five months ago, they did a number of things, but they didn't. They, Wait a minute. I have another question. Yeah. If if with when Hillary lost and Trump unbelievably won, according to most of the country, why did they do anything for four years? Why not put everything on hold until the next election? Well, I had a theory about that, Dick, and I'm going to tell you um, several reasons, I think. Because hang on, the December 2017 New York Times front page story kicked yeah. UFOs from the last giggle line in every newscast to major, oh my God, it's real. And then during the pandemic, the DOD came out and reinforced that all that gun camera footage, et cetera, was real, real, real. Yeah. Okay. Look, this is complicated. I give you the. We have time. We have time. Simplest answer I can give you. No, give me the real answer. Forget when, simple. All right. When Trump wins the election, their whole project is thrown up in the air. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't imagine what 
they, they were dealing with. I'm sure they, there was at risk that they would lose their support inside the MIC. Uh, it might have evaporated completely. Uh, but the one thing – Well, I we did, have a lot of testimony from inside, including a lot of military people, generals, et cetera, that Trump is an idiot. Look, no, their perception well, is Trump is an idiot uh, from day one, it, which, means, con- which means – let me finish – if you had predicated a careful rollout plan with all the ancillary things, a million moving parts, you don't want the guy in the Oval Office to be the idiot who does it. He'll he'll look, he'll louse it up. But I don't. Um, let me tell you my uh, interpretation because I don't want people to confuse your interpretation with mine. All right. Hardly. <laughs> I think that their assessment was uh, that what they were trying to do was. A big deal, and and the goal was disclosure, obviously, and that's the most profound event in human history. It's a huge thing, and it's not something you you, you just throw it out there. You, it's got to be done in the right way, and it's got to be uh, productive, uh, you know, not not destructive. It's it's a big deal, and the circumstances in which you're trying to do this are important, and very important, polit- particularly political. All right, and so they knew when Trump won, that the next four years were going to be unusual. <laughs> and the question was, how unusual? The master of understatement. <clears throat> and so clearly, so they stepped back to see what was going to happen. All right. Uh, and I, they had the option of just simply going quiet for four years. But first of all, these, all these, they were all, all men and one woman. All these people that signed up for this and 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 became part of the To the Stars Academy, no longer working for the government. They might have some contract money coming in, but they they had they had made a massive commitment here and took a huge risk. But the plan was boom. It, it, it gets announced in November. It, they they slam dunk the New York Times in December. She wins the election. Bing bing bing. But now they're hung out to dry, and the idea you know so. They're faced with – what can we do? I mean can we just sort of sit quiet for four years and then see what happens? I mean they got a life. I mean what are they you – know, this is – hanging out for four years in this was not the plan. It was really going to be tough. So it's really a problem, and, they, and the political situation was clearly going to be problematic. So they assessed it for 11 months, and then they made a decision, which I think was incredibly gutsy. I'd love to talk to them about it. They decide we're going to launch in October of 2017. I think there were several reasons. One, uh, they couldn't wait, and then they just realized we can't keep this together uh, for another three years and then try to pull it off because we, we, it's just, we can't keep a group together sitting on their butt. Plus, two, they've been partially outed, right? And so it wasn't like everybody's going to forget that something was in the works. So it's going to get really sticky, right? And three, they wanted to assess what was going to happen with Trump. All right. uh, but there may be a fourth reason, and, and, and I, you know, I could be wrong, but in May of 2017, I – April, rather, is when I went to the UK to get away from it all, a <laughs> little vacation, you know what I'm saying, um, ride the subway and look out the window think about what could have happened and what might have been. Uh, I got a call from Moscow from this 
national television network. They wanted to interview me, and they said, we'll interview you in London. I said, forget it. I'll interview in Moscow. They said, you pay your ticket. You can interview anywhere you want. Hmm. So I bought a ticket, went to Moscow, and gave a two-hour interview to a network there. Was this RT? I'm sorry? Was this RT? It was REN TV, R-E-N TV. Okay. It's the most popular it's the most pop popular channel in, in all of Russia. And so they, they wanted to use some clips for some of their shows. They have shows just like we do. Yeah, they've done uh, several uh, documentaries on my stuff. And so they physically I, came here and did yeah, documentaries. So I, uh, but, but I went there with a reason. I went there. Uh, break time, had, Rich. Okay. Uh, break time? We are at the break. Yes, yes. My guest this morning is uh, Stephen Bassett, and we're having a hail time. Maybe this is the year. Maybe it's the year. So, uh, oh, I got the wrong pot. Oh, darn, darn. Okay, there we are. One last half hour to go. If you want to join this conversation, you can, of course, uh, join us at the other side of midnight. This is our number. You want to call. I can get something clear here. 917-889-8802. All you Trump people who are furious at me because I've, you know, simply told the truth in terms of what the reportage is on the record, generals like General Mattis, etc. Um, you're going to find out where we're going in 2021 when we return. Don't touch that dial. midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour of the other side of midnight for Saturday night, the 28th, Sunday morning, the 29th of November. We have some calls, but Steve, I want you to kind of finish your thought there, and we'll take the calls when it's appropriate. We've got about a half an hour. So please resume. Stephen? Unmute Steve. There you are. 
I think you're right. I was muted. <laughs> okay. And my I have a short-term memory problem. Let's don't go there. So uh, I I went to Moscow with a reason for a reason. Uh, I, I gave a two-hour interview, and in that interview, I talked about politics and exopolitics, including about uh, Putin being the disclosure president, which I've been talking about for 20 years. You mean the Russian disclosure president? Putin, yeah, being the disclosure president. Uh, and I've been talking about that for years. I, um, you, know, you can just go watch my previous interviews. But I, no one had ever talked about it on, on, on a Russian network that I'm aware of. And, wow. and definitely no one on Russian soil. In Moscow. Good In Moscow. You. And then I arranged for six meetings with six groups of Russians. Okay. This was set up by a colleague of mine. Uh, I didn't really care what was said in those meetings. We only had a, a, one translator, and she was nice but not uh, the best. I didn't care. I just wanted to have the meeting, including with one top, one pretty well-known Russian official. And the reason I wanted this is that this was simply a test to see where Putin was on the subject of disclosure. I mean, I've been talking about it for 20 years, but you know, I'd never gotten any emails from the, uh, from the Kremlin. And so I think, okay, I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to give the interview, and then I'm going to wait and see. Is that interview going to see the light of day or any part of it? Uh, uh, am I going to get a copy of that interview, right? So I could actually put it out there. Uh, is the media in any way going to cover it, or even am I going to get to leave Moscow? I mean, I I I could end up being uh, you know rooming with Edward Snowden. I didn't know, right? But I knew this: that one, there was no way, given the meetings I had, and given the fact that that Ren TV is one of Putin is Putin's favorite network, there was no way that he wasn't going to know. That I was there, and there was no way the CIA wasn't going to know. Okay, so okay, and so I did it all. I was there for a week. They have, you know, well, Burger King is cheaper there, uh, <laughs> so I ate a lot of Burger Kings and milkshakes. And then I got to see Guardians of the Galaxy two in Russian. Wow. I watched the whole thing. It was in Russian, no subtitles, and it was just as much fun as watching it in English. Then I came back to the U.S. and watched it in English. I, I, di I digress. And so I come back. What happens in quick order is after a short amount of time, I, I get confirmation that a couple of small clips were used in one of their shows. Two, I got the footage. They sent me the, – the journalist sent me her – it wasn't the highest quality, not the same quality as the network's cameras, but it was the, the full copy of the video, which I have segments – I have it all on my website. Uh, that was interesting, and then uh, I'm going, okay, and what happened? What happened next is that two articles appeared in Pravda.ru. Uh, within about a month of each other, and they had they had subtitles like "UFO activist wants Putin to disclose." I mean, literally. And I'm going, there is no way in hell that those articles happen, that I get that footage sent to me without his permission, without him being cool with it. So that told me, and I think it told the CIA that what I'd been saying for 20 years. Just, just to get their attention. I wasn't really speaking to Putin. I was bringing up on all these these interviews to get to the Pentagon, right? That guys, you know, this truth embargo was 50 years old, is 60 years old. Putin could make the announcement tomorrow, and you guys are holding. See, the bag. this makes it even more mysterious because I wasn't kidding. I've had more Russians in my house when Robin was alive, yeah. who spoke Russian, and we never let them know so we could hear. What they were saying to each other, thinking that these dumb Americans didn't know, they were taking what I was presenting, 
which went back to this largest network. It's got 120 million viewers. You know, they were taking it verbatim and they were dealing with it very seriously. So not only is Putin up on the ET flying saucer side, he's up on the artifacts and ancient civilizations and what happened on Mars. Because we we appeared on the cover of the uh, ITAR TAS magazine. I know. Look, the, the interest in the subject by the Russian the Russian government is well known. It goes back for decades. Another, so why no, didn't he upstage Trump? Well, that is, of course, the, the, a big question, and, and uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll get to ask him one day. Hmm. The point is he didn't do it. Right? Now, understand something, and, I've, and I, may, I made this point before. I'll make it again. Bill Clinton went to the Pentagon and went to the DOD and said, I, I'd like to get these files. I, I'm, I'm looking into this. Help me. They said, forget it. And then they gave him a $12 million bogus Air Force report. <laughs> Imagine Putin going to the uh, Russian military and getting stonewalled and then having the Russian Air Force put together a whitewash report uh, that's full of BS. Imagine that happening. Mm, I don't think I, so. I can't imagine and, that. No. And so the message was, look, he could do it any time. All right. So th- the point is not that he hasn't done it. We know that. The point is. Is it possible that the people inside the Pentagon maybe got wind of this, were aware that, you know, Bassett is in Ma- – what the hell is he doing in Moscow, that crazy idiot? What's he – you know, <laughs> and, and, and what if Putin does it? I mean they, they – Well, you're someone who, like me, is not controllable on the reservation. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the point is that maybe it had no effect, but the, the, the fact is, look, if, if they don't go forward – in October of 2017, and Putin discloses, you think you think the, the the military intelligence complex would have been caught with their pants down if they if if Hillary had gotten elected and disclosed, and they had still been sitting tight, doing nothing. No way. Did I miss something, or are you implying that when you went to Moscow, that was part of the decision making to have the New York Times story on the Nimitz? Oh no 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 no! I didn't even know. When I went to Moscow, I didn't even know the TTSA existed. I knew there was something going on. I had no idea what, uh, and the TTSA uh, didn't come out and launch until four months after I got back. So, but the point is, I'm saying, I I wasn't, I was just doing what I was doing to to get the Putin issue more into play and test him and whatever, and uh, and and see Moscow. And it was yeah, but you cool. had successfully planted all these stories in these major outlets, including the yeah, Gray sure. Lady. So you had to be – if you wound up in Moscow talking to representatives of Putin, they had to be taking you behind the scenes seriously. I, I don't know how seriously it took me. All I know is I, got, I didn't end up rooming with Edward Snowden, and I got back, and it all went fine, but Putin didn't do anything. <laughs> However, understand that, that – that, let, let me restate – let me say something very important here. It is my firm belief. That the two the stars academy of arts and science, which we refer to as the two the stars academy, which is enough, or TTSA, uh, was established as a surrogate NGO as a front operating on behalf of the DOD and yeah, other agencies yeah. in order to do things that the MIC simply cannot do. It's called plausible to... deniability. It's... Well, well, it's not. It's more than just plausible deniability. It's also it's also a legal distance. The stuff that the Two the Stars Academy is doing could not be done if those gentlemen were still working for the government. Okay. Right? Okay. They can't do it, but the TTSA can do it. But 
the connection between the TTSA and the MIC is pretty obvious, even though they don't go into detail. You throw these acronyms around, you're losing people. MIC, Military Intelligence Complex. TTSA, To the Stars Academy, Arts and Science. Good, good. So, so it, it, it's essentially operating on their behalf in a way that doesn't violate the law uh, and, and, and a care, in a careful way. But moves the so ball that, forward. So that when Hillary discloses, they would already be pretty on the right side of history and seen as part of the solution, thus significantly mitigating the public relations problems the that backlash. the military intelligence complex is going to face. It's it basically having lied to the American operation. people for 70 some years. Yeah, they, they, you know, they, look, even with the TTSA, the, the Department of Defense and the, and the military intelligence complex is not going to have an easy time post disclosure. That's another show. But in any event, so they, they had to make a decision, and they ultimately decided that they couldn't wait. They needed to go out. They knew that the situation was still not ideal, but, and they also didn't see it getting better. So they're thinking, hey, it's not going to get any better. So they launched it, and then they slow walked it but did important things. Wait, wait. Did, when did you go to Moscow? Sorry to interrupt. April of 2017. And the New York Times thing was December of 2017. Yeah. I see so, a cause and effect, Stephen. I, I don't know. I, I, all uh, I of course you don't know. Make, it's I me wonderfully, freely speculating is what we do on this show. The Putin factor could possibly have factored in, but it wasn't certainly the only factor that, that made them decide to go ahead with what was a very difficult decision. And there was some, another reason. I think, I think it was a reasonable uh, uh, I think, um, uh, idea that let's launch. Let's give it our best shot. Let's take the goods down to the New York Times, get those extraordinary articles, see what happens. Well, what happened is not surprising that it generated a huge amount of of, of media coverage. I have it archived them. I, you know, I now have archived my site nearly 700 articles relating to the TTSA. It was breaking of the dam. Event. It was the breaking of the cover up for 70 plus years. But guess what happened? After not too long a time, the political situation in the United States simply sucked that all in. You mean, you mean Trump's behavior? Yeah. It was a political situation, which is unprecedented. Essentially, the media had to come back to that. And so it just didn't go as far as it needed to. And they recognized that. They gave it a shot. Could have done it. Now, understand, one of the risks they took was that Trump could end up being the disclosure president, which is a discussion for another show. Uh, who was the disclosure president is extremely significant. It matters. But but whatever they did, what they did, they See, rolled this the is, dice. Uh, we'll save this for another show too. But I am of a very, di- very different opinion. I think the subject is so vast, so all-encompassing, so planetary. It's irrelevant who discloses it. It's going to take on a life of its own, like it's the eight hundred pound gorilla. It, 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 it short, long term, it's irrelevant. Short term, there are very significant implications. Okay, we differ. So, we disagree. I, I, I'm getting close here to the end. No, uh, no, no. So, You've got plenty of time. Go, go. Uh, okay. So uh, they, they, they launched it, and then they have worked the issue in a careful way, uh, making progress and so forth through the rest of the term, not knowing who would win the next election, and that was significant as well. But they clearly did not want to go too far. They didn't want this issue to catch fire uh, in the current reality. Because the, the, the political situation in the United States for the last four years 
was absolutely not appropriate for what they wanted to do. The disclosure event is of such importance that it needs to happen in a relatively stable political environment. And of course, the, the COVID thing comes in and, and early this year, which only made it worse. And they pretty much shut everything down about three months ago. Uh, nothing virtually. And that's, that's fully expected. And they went quiet. Okay. Now, but here is what did happen. And this is where it gets pretty interesting. I have been on the sidelines for four years. I haven't been out there doing much of anything. I've been watching the TTSA and cheering them on and supporting them in every way that I could because they're, they're on the field and they got the football. All right. But that's about to change pretty soon. I'm about to jump back in with both feet. But I'm, I know a lot about what they're doing from public information. I, get no in, I have no inside information. But here is what I have concluded, and I feel really confident about this. What they did or the, the, the ultimate outcome of what they were doing. They being it, it, the TTSA. And the Pentagon. Is revealed in the actions of, the actions of Chris Mellon and, and Luis Elizondo. Who are the two key players in this? Uh, these are the two most important people in this. And what we know has happened is that over the last year, maybe year and a half, Mellon has been going up on the hill because he is a heavy-duty guy with substantial political and intelligence credentials. He couldn't be better qualified. What's his background? Uh, assistant Deputy Secretary of Intelligence for uh, – of Defense for Intelligence. Yeah, see, the audience needs to know that. He's got, he's got connections on the DOD. He's got connections on the Hill. And, he, and he's, he, he's a brilliant guy. So he, he's been going up and meeting with committee chairs, and they've arranged meetings for witnesses to come and talk to him, primarily pilots, mm. particularly the Nimitz pilots. And so the Nimitz pilots have been talking and meeting with members of committees on the Hill. We think scores, dozens. Well, we had some of, leaks, like Rubio said yeah, some things in public. So he's having these – they're all off, off background. They're, they're not – public, no press conference. It's not supposed to be – it's pretty much hush-hush, but a couple of members have mentioned it. It's not total secret. We don't know the number. We don't know what was said, but we do know that they met, and we know that witnesses were there. We all subsequently learned July of this year – was it last year? July of this year. That No, last year. Wait a minute. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, last year. That, uh, that, in fact, they gave a briefing to President Trump, and some of the pilots talked to him. Okay, fine. That's one of the reasons I made the decision to move back to Washington and set up an office. That's when Hannity became a UFO fan. Well, yeah, Tucker Carl and others. So they, they, so, so, so Mellon has done that. Meanwhile, what Elizondo has been doing, and you can see this clearly if you watch all 14 of the uh, unidentified Inside America's in, uh, secret UFO investigation. Which on, I if, did. Yeah. If you watch that, what you're, what you're fundamentally seeing is they're using the show as a platform to bring forward military witnesses, starting with, of course, many of the Nimitz witnesses, mm -hmm. which are heavy-duty guys, yep. pilots, technicians, and so forth. And not surprisingly, when nothing happened to these men, more witnesses starting approaching now, approaching them in, uh, privately. Uh, DeLong is uh, alluded to dozens, maybe scores, maybe even a couple of hundred. Witnesses have approached them with their story. In other words, they were able in that show to drop the bar, keeping uh, military people from coming forward. They showed that, hey, it's a new game. It's a new era. You're not going to get bothered. Let's hear your story. Though some of them well, there's did, several other things. The Navy put it on the record. We officially want reports. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. in other words, other things were happening. They, Which, they, by they the way, is different than the Air Force Project Blue Book. 
it's the Navy now driving the ship. Yeah, not exactly. Well, look, keep in mind this is a public relations program. It's not about actual stuff. It's about PR because the things that are being said really are ridiculous, and yet they are important. That's another show. Wait a minute. minute. Things that are said like like what? The creation of the ATIP program, the creation of the, quote, uh, UAP task force. If you read about it and you read the articles, anybody that knows the history of this issue knows it's nonsense in a way. But it's public relations. It doesn't matter if it actually represents what's happened. It it serves the purpose of – of presenting the, the MIC in a way that's conducive to moving forward toward disclosure. That's as far as I want to go right now on that. But okay. what I'm trying to say is that they Wait, let, two- let, me, let me stop you again. What did what was Trump's response publicly to his briefing? That's important. He he was at he, he either arranged or was asked a question about it by Tucker Carlson in Japan, where he said, um, well, you know, I don't know, but you know, a couple of pilots, you know, some pilots said something important. I don't think he said I met with him, but he referred to him, which confirmed that he had met with him, and that was it. His statements on this are minor. They're just nothing. They're just little thingies, right? Uh, everybody is excited about this disclosure process now. They're seizing on anything that turns up. I get it. I didn't just fall off the truck, right? I, <laughs> I, I, I have a context for all this. So I'm not. It, that's not a big deal. What is a big deal is that amongst all the other things that TTSA has done, the two most important things, which is actually the, the spear of their agenda, the spear point of their agenda, was to brief privately committee chairs on the Hill, give them witnesses, casting these meetings and witnesses pretty much in a national security context, threat, potential threat, perfectly not unreasonable, and to, to, to draw in – scores and scores of other military witnesses through their other actions, particularly the show on History Channel, so that they have all the witnesses they need to hold congressional hearings next year when the new administration takes over. Okay, let me stop you there. Yes. Do you know or do you have reason to suspect Biden is up to speed on this? Well, this is interesting that you ask that, Dick, (laughs) because – their ultimate decision was they had to they had to assess four possible outcomes. One, Trump wins, GOP holds the Senate. Trump loses, GOP holds the Senate. Biden wins, GOP holds the Senate. Biden wins, GOP loses the Senate. Each one of those situations is different. Ultimately, we know one half of that. Well, wait, this and, could be the ultimate bipartisan issue. The ultimate. Uh, that, yeah, I'm, I'm not, but I'm just saying that that. Bipartisan or not bipartisan, those four outcomes are very different in terms of the political situation next year. But it looks like it's going to be a pretty stable situation. Okay, that's good. So they uh, uh, have established sufficient basis to go forward with congressional hearings, and that was the plan all along. Why? Because – and I've said this for years – The way to disclosure should be through congressional hearings. That is the appropriate way. That's the way it should be done. That's a win-win-win for everybody, right? And that's why people's house, box populi, et cetera. Yes. Yeah, we know. Well, I go into details. But 52 years, we've been trying to get hearings. That's why we've been trying to get hearings. We've tried many times, 
uh, uh, gear tried a couple of times. I know of at least two other just personally attempts. They were all blocked. They all went nowhere. We could not get hearing. Robin and I, two, three, maybe five, no, eight, year, eight nine years ago, had a meeting on Capitol Hill. I did the whole Capitol Hill thing myself about NASA yeah. and all that. Made your efforts. Yeah. I stood next to a Republican congressman who put his arm around me and says, Dick, when we have hearings, I want you to be there. Republican. Yeah. Of course, never. Nothing Good. ever happened, but. Oh, so, so why didn't we get hearings? Because the, 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 why, the wise people inside the government know full well that proper hearings, and I'm not talking a one-day thing like 1968. I'm talking days, if not weeks, of hearings, multiple committees. In other words, the real deal. Publicly uh, riveting. Prime-time television. The truth, the truth embargo was done. Yep. Okay. And they weren't ready to have the truth embargo end, and so we couldn't have them. But apparently, that is now – we've now crossed the Rubicon. There's no going back. And they've set it all up. This, in other words, Elizondo and uh, I mean, there's a TTSA. They have they have a, a, a public benefits uh, corporation. They're doing things. They have a it's all fine. But that's not what's going on now. It, it's Elizondo and, and and Melling doing what the fundamental agenda was from the beginning, which is to get disclosure by using their gravitas and their backing within the DOD itself. To get the meetings on the Hill, get the witnesses lined up, introduce some of the witnesses to the committee chairs and, and put it in a context of national security so they can safely hold these hearings next year. Now, the one – there are a couple of facts. Uh, the COVID thing could delay it a little bit. If it wasn't for COVID, I'd say they'd probably have them right away, probably in uh, February. The sooner the better. There's some very powerful reasons to get them done immediately. However, depending on how the vaccine goes, it may get delayed a little bit. So maybe it doesn't happen until March or April. But it will be early in that administration, and those hearings will be the most watched event in human history. Of course. They will surpass the Olympics. So you'll have multiple hearings, nonpartisan. Uh, in fact, if, if – well, nonpartisan. Uh, so there's no need for any of the chairs to posture. They can ask great questions. They don't have to fight each other. Hundreds of millions of people or more will be watching. The Congress wins. The committee chairs become stars. The end, when enough testimony has been amassed, where it's obvious to anybody uh, with an eighth grade education that clearly this is a non-human based phenomenon. Well, there's got to be an amazing amount of videos the Navy has not released yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's that. I'll get to that in a second. But so the testimony will be military witnesses only. All right. And it'll be all focused on national security. But they've laid the stage for all of this, including the nuclear weapons tampering and all the other stuff. And so at some point. The evidence is so obvious that the president can then meet with committee chairs, can meet with people, uh, uh, members of the DOD. They can sit down over a quiet dinner and decide, hey, the evidence is pretty clear. There's an extraterrestrial presence. The media is on fire. The people, I think, are in fire. And so I think now the president can go forward and say, look, based on the evidence we've just seen, I think it's clear that this is a, a, a non-human extraterrestrial phenomena. And, I, and I'm confirming that to you today. The president wins. The Democratic Party wins. The Republican Party wins because they're going to be chairing. Uh, I mean, they're going to be chairing. But they may be chairing the Senate hearing, but they're going to be 50. They're going to be in all the committee meetings, right, answering good questions. The public wins. We finally get the truth. The country wins. Everybody wins. And by the time the announcement does come, most people are going, I knew that. I knew it. And so it's, it's what has Straight to happen. Straight out of Brookings. Remember, yeah, it's, remember it's Brookings' to... recommendation? Decades of acculturation of the, of the populace. Yeah. So when the 
event happens, it's like, oh, what's the, what are the Kardashians doing? Well, we've had, we've had a cultural uh, uh, buildup, but this is the, the political, uh, how would you say, adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hearings and national security has to be the way it goes. Now, once the president discloses, there's gonna continue, the hearings are going to continue, but they're going to broaden out. And you may see some civilian witnesses. You may see other topics come in. But the, the, the way to disclose – You may see Utah. <clears throat> uh, right. I even may get invited. But <laughs> one way or another, I'll be in the hearing room. If I, I'll, I'll pay somebody to stand in line. So this is what I believe is coming. I believe we're now in the final months of the truth embargo, barring something really dramatic happening. We know how that goes. I encourage people to get ready, to gear up. I'm going to launch my podcast very soon. I'm going to be talking about this for the next weeks and months. Uh, I devoted most of it to this inevitable process that's underway. Uh, so this is well, it. Well, we thought it was inevitable the last time. <clears throat> we've, never, we've never been in this situation before. Nothing that has happened in the last 60 years, even in the ballpark of what has happened just in this year alone. The TTSA and these men and one woman, Gilpin, were basically assigned a very, very difficult job. Create an organization, raise some money so you can pay the bills, put out information that we cannot put out, move the media, and advance this issue towards, towards hearings. Whatever else the TTSA does, God bless them. They can print all the books they want and do documentaries. I assure you, that is if, nothing. If this is handled to- right, Stephen, we've got 30 seconds left in the show. <clears throat> yeah. If this is handled this could bring both sides of the great political divide like nothing else together. Yes, that's one of the four or five reasons why you hold it right away. Because if there's anything that could unite the American people and the two political parties uh, in, 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 in common cause, it's the completely non-political, non-partisan truth of all time. We're not alone in the universe, which allows them to together. Plus, it will give Biden, who's facing monumental problems, enormous political capital to spend on dealing with those problems. That's why there's no way you, you, you delay those hearings, right, to get distracted by something else. You get those hearings done as soon as you possibly can. Vaccinate the hell out of everybody. Get them into town. Hold the hearings. And so he wins, right? The, the, the country wins because now we have – it's like the space program. Steve, I mean, we, yeah. we're at a runway. Okay. We, we will pick this up on another show. My guest this morning has been Stephen Bassett. I've had him go through this painstakingly so you understand it could this time be real. So tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, spin off the morning. Good night, everyone.